Welcome to the Limitless Mindset Podcast. My name is Blake Clark, and I am the founder and visionary of Limitless Real Estate and also the team lead of the Clark team. My goal with this podcast is to show you that your possibilities are truly limitless with the right mindset and outlook on life. On this podcast, you're going to hear from not only myself, but also other members within our brokerage as well as my team. And we're going to be discussing all things real estate, mindset, goal setting, and what it takes to build a good business and succeed in life. Thanks so much for joining us and welcome. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Limitless Mindset Podcast, and we are back after two months. I took a nice little hiatus. I didn't feel like doing any recordings for two months just because we've had a lot of projects going on, a lot of things in the works, a lot of growth. Uh, so I wanted to kick off going into 2024 and we're probably going to roll it a little bit different rolling into 24, try to do a lot more interviews rather than the, uh, solo format I do and try to highlight some of the people in our brokerage. So I'm excited about that. And today I got Nick Ohanian in here. He's one of our agents at the brokerage. Um, and one of the lenders over at Bear Financial. He's one of my lending partners here. Uh, so we are just going to dive right into it. we got some fun topics, questions, and some of the format we're going to roll with is going to be a little, uh, less formal in some of it and just kind of go over some different random topics, business related, life related, real estate related. Uh, so I'm excited to have you guys here. Let's jump into it, man. Hey, introduce yourself. Tell them who you are. Uh, my name is Nick. (laughs) I am an agent here at Limitless. I started a little over a year ago. Yep. I think I've been in lending for a little over three years at this point. And uh, yeah, not a whole lot else, I guess. You ride a motorcycle? I do ride a motorcycle. You and I have a lot in common. Yeah. We're guys. We wear hats. Well, okay. Have a beard. Black shirts. Black shirts. Why do you wear black shirts? Uh, I don't know. I just like the color black, to be honest with you. (laughs) I don't know if I have a necessarily... I wish I could have some cool story on reasoning. I just like it. Yeah, I don't know. Mine was just... I don't know, the same way. My entire life, I've worn black shirts. I think a lot of it, to be fair, is like when I was younger, mm-hmm. I hated coming in from like recess. Mm-hmm. And I would look at kids wearing like gray shirts. They were like sweaty. Mm-hmm. I, I had this like super weird realization with like personal hygiene when mm-hmm. I was younger. It was like third or fourth grade or something like that. I think that was when like, you know, body odor becomes a thing and like yep. stuff like that. And I just started tripping out about it. Because I remember always, I used to think it was like cool. Like my brothers and dad like put on deodorant. <laughs> Hell yeah, I, can't, I can't wait to do that one day. And then once you like realize it's like a personal hygiene thing, I was like, oh no. So I wore black shirts like my entire life because of that. Mm. Cause so you wear black to hide sweat. Dude, I wear it because it looks good. Good for you. All right. Dude, I'm Armenian. <laughs> so like my, my dad's like a gorilla. Mm-hmm. I guess he's like. 60 percent hair mm-hmm. so it's like one of those things that's just unfortunately in my blood like i can't get away from that got it All right. ken's the same way but ken's ken's a, he's a little bit prettier than me okay he can wear colors and whatnot got it but so you sweat and you're ugly that's why you wear black exactly got it okay i'm glad we clarified that okay hats, hats i've always mine was a yep. baseball thing though so mine i always wore hats because i was just used to wearing hats yeah. forever but I just like hats too because they keep sun out of your eyes. Part now I'm getting bald too. I'm old, so I just have to wear them. That's fair. Yeah. See, I don't know if I'm gonna have. I was going back and forth with this with Scott because, mm-hmm. like, my so my mom's dad's got no hair, mm-hmm. and then my dad's dad. Just haven't been doing real estate long enough. When you do real estate long enough, and you have enough like really sideways deals, you just slowly start losing hair, and the grease kick in. 2020 for me, that was that. <laughs> Really yeah, started. It's like us losing business to new builds right now. Yeah. Same thing. I lost two this week. So I'll start counting your hair follicles. Uh, we'll see, dude. We'll see. <laughs> All right. What do we got on the menu today? What are we talking about? <laughs> All 
your choice. So we've got lifting. Oh. Work-life balance. Okay. General state of the economy. Finance info. Lender-agent relationships. Okay. Cars and bikes. Mm, those are all really good topics. Let's let's roll a little bit into the economy. Let's start there just to give some value right on the front end for people. The economy. Yeah. What's happening next year? What's your opinion? I think the market's going to get picked up. I honestly do. I think uh, I was looking at a lot of charts and graphs last year. Um, I pay attention to a lot of the data. If you look at the cycle of interest rates being uh, where they peak out at, it's typically two years. So when you see a large decline and then you see a spike in interest rates, it typically lasts about two years before they really start to settle again. We started to see rates increase uh, March, going right into April of 2022. And we're right around the corner from that, right hitting at that two years. Um, and then the feds recently kind of announced that it seems like they're done raising rates for a little while, stabilizing, hopefully coming down going into next year, which I think is going to pour into the housing interest rates. And, uh, the market definitely slowed down. Not as many people are listing, not as many people are buying. So I think that, uh, you know, as we head into election season, that's going to stimulate things a little bit too. So my prediction market's going to get pretty hot, probably going to push housing prices. It's not going to be 20 and 21 hot, uh, but it'll definitely pick up steam. Inventory is going to get pretty tight. Uh, we'll probably see a few more listings hit the market. And then what happens after that? I don't know. I think it might slow again after the elections a little bit, but yeah, that's no, so. tough. What's your opinion on uh, people that come and they, their excuses 2008, like they don't want to buy a house right now because they look at 2008 as it's some sort of, I guess, catalyst mm-hmm. to like what we're in right now. Cause I get that a lot. That's mm-hmm. a big thing I get, especially older clients. I mean, first time home buyers, they, they're too young. I was, Math. I was twelve. Mm. I don't think I was buying houses. You weren't buying houses. You should have been. Well, that's the biggest. Why were you not buying houses at twelve? Biggest mistake I made in my life when I was twelve years old. I should have fucking bought like ten houses. I get it. But I mean, that's something I run into all the time: is people saying, "Oh, two thousand eight, two thousand eight. But my, I guess, my opinion on all that is, it's just so different because two thousand eight was set up from like subprime lending, right? So I mean, the biggest thing was, you know, they're rolling out adjustable mortgages, rolling out stated income, so. Let's say you're a stripper, you walk in, you make, you know, I make 500K a year. Mm-hmm. You would get a house. You would get a house in like a week. Um, and then the issue is they were packaging all that. So, like, these mortgages are sold on a secondary market. And so, in 08, they were packaging all of these these loans that they knew were going to default, essentially, mm-hmm. right? So, there's ratings to them, and they would package them all together. And then they would call them, like, AAA-rated bonds, and then they would sell that back to institutions. So, mm-hmm. as an institution, you're buying that, thinking, okay, it's AAA-rated, it's, you know, it's going to perform. It's going to make X amount a year. And the issue with that is they didn't realize they were packing a bunch of garbage into that. So, like, what's, knowing that, I guess, like, what, what would be your argument today if someone were to say, hey, you know, I'm scared because of what happened? Yeah, I think to draw a fair analysis, you probably need to understand why 2008 happened. Uh, take a look at some of the economic factors that were at play. Look at some of the lending standards that were at play and compare those to today, too, right? So, um why do people feel that way? Well, housing prices went high, which they did then. But what I can tell you um, now is that lending standards are, are pretty tight, right? That was the biggest issue. A lot of people, if you, if you look at the reason the economy collapsed, one of the main ones is people were qualifying for things that they shouldn't have been qualifying for. Income didn't verify the way that they should have been, you know, stated income loans, things like that. Nobody was actually saying, hey, send me your taxes, send me your W-2s. Let's take a look at your net income versus your gross income, right? There's one of those things like lending standards are just loose and loans were being written to people that they should not have been written to. Uh, today, it's the exact opposite. We're getting people turned down all the time for loans, right? DTI is too high. Uh, 
you know, considered high risk, things of that nature. I, I take a look at that when I'm getting some of my clients pre-approved, you know, and I tend to look at their situation and I can honestly say out of all the houses I've sold, especially in the last five, six years, last year, none, nobody that's gotten into a house have I ever felt, yeah, I'm putting them in a bad position. I don't think if things went a little sideways that they wouldn't be able to afford this or anything like that personally. You know, it's just yeah. uh, the qualifying process right now to qualify for a loan is much higher. The, the lending standards are much more strict than they were before. Uh, so I take a look at all things considered. Um, it's just we're setting we're setting people up for a better position this time to not over leverage themselves and put themselves into too much debt. Yeah, and that 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 kind of plays into a lot of times I get or you, you see it on Instagram, TikTok, mm-hmm. whatever, of people saying I pay twenty five hundred rent, but I can't qualify for a twenty five hundred dollar mortgage. Mm-hmm. And people like to complain about that. And I see it run, but it's one of those things like you said. It's it is very strict now and it's it's honestly for the better so i know it's one of those things where a lot of people get frustrated to say hey i can i can afford my rent why can't i buy this house correct the issue is when you're running a house what happens if you don't make your payment you got it you just get booted yep right and then they ding your credit and no one nowadays no one cares about their credit yeah so it's one of those things where it's like if you own a house and you default people don't realize like that bank has to pay so much money to get you out of it they mm-hmm. think they could just foreclose on you. They get their money back. No, it's a process. Attorneys yeah. are involved, auctions, auction fees. Yeah, exactly. So it's one of those things where it's like, I, I think that's so misconstrued. And it is one of those like social media things that people, they run with the idea, but it's, it's frustrating mm-hmm. on my end of things, like on the lending side, because I look at that and it's, it's tough because it, it's hard for me to explain to people because I'm not the one making all the guidelines. Yeah, I know everyone thinks I do. People think that, I make interest rates, I make guidelines, and they'll get mad at me about, you know, why they can or can't qualify. But in the general health of the economy, and I guess yep. like the, the country as a whole, it is, it is a good thing because the default rate, I mean, now versus like 2008, 2012, exactly. Yeah, it's interesting because they're saying really right now, a lot of the credit card rate defaults are high. Auto loan defaults are high. A lot of the consumer lending is at a high default rate. Mortgage rates are at the absolute lowest because that's the thing that most people have a lot of their equity in and some of the cheapest interest rates are sitting in right now. They're not motivated to get out of it. The second piece of that I would consider is that you know every market's going to go up and down, but if you're buying a house with the intention of flipping it in a year and using that to make money, yeah, you probably wouldn't be in a good position to do that. If you're buying something to stay for four or five years, as you should be, to build up a little market appreciation, uh, it shouldn't really be an issue, you know? (laughs) So that's why I tell people, you know, you're only at risk if you're planning on selling in six or eight months, because we don't know what that's going to be. But if it's a long-term situation for you for a couple of years, sit in the dang thing, you know, it shouldn't be an issue. So yeah, I get a lot of people coming with that too, is, you know, what's going to happen 10 years from now, 15 years from now, nobody can tell next year. Exactly. Or some people predict for the next year. And the big thing for me is if, if you're buying a house, right, the whole When's the best time to buy? Mm-hmm. Well, can you afford to buy a house? Yes. Yep. You need a new house, right? Need or one, yep. right? And if you do, then yes. Then it's a good time to buy. Sure. Because you can make the argument that the best time to buy was like March or April of 2020. Yep. You can make a hard argument on that. But for anyone to predict that the whole world was going to shut down and then rates were going to drop to his, literally like historical lows almost mm-hmm. overnight. It was like a one-month turn. You're not going to be able to predict that. Yeah. Right? And it's... When Emily and I, <clears throat> Emily's my wife for whatever, right? But <laughs> when Emily and I were buying our first house, that's kind of how it, it, it played out. And I'd love to go around telling people that oh, I'm just a fucking genius, right? No. But I'm not. Yep. It was our lease was coming due and we were going to have to get a new house. And um, <clears throat> it was just so, just so happened to be that time. And there was three houses left in the first phase of this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So 
the only smart thing that I knew, I guess, was that they needed to sell out of that phase to get their funding for phase two. Mm. And this happened right when the whole world shut down. So we came in, we ripped the house way, way back um, and ended up getting it. So I'd love to play it off. Like we're super smart and like good for us, but yep. it was purely a timing thing and it was very coincidental. So, but moving forward, I mean, I, I pretty much tell everyone the same thing. It's just, if it's a good time to buy for you and it makes sense and it's a good time to buy, because what do you, I have so many clients right now that's what, two, three years, you know, we've been in the works with them and they're just still on the fence, still on the fence, still on the yep. fence. And then, I mean, you saw over this weekend too, we got like five new applications and they're all from people that they've been waiting, been waiting, been waiting. And I've been trying so hard to kind of explain to them what's going to happen because they're not the only people waiting. Yep. Right. And it's just basic supply and demand thing. Now there's a lot of people that try and argue, you know, the market will tank or the market's going to explode or this and that. And again, I don't try and lean one way or the other. <laughs> what do you think I it's going to do? That's a good question. What do you think after the uh, after the elections? What do you think it's going to look like? I think after the elections it is a tough one because yeah. I, I think from a if you look at like a macroeconomic point of view, like the whole world, right? This mm-hmm. election for the United States is going to be huge. It's going to be one of those things where I, I think it's going to break some sort of norm or something historically speaking because mm-hmm. it's just <clears throat> we're at such a crucial point. Um, economically speaking, because we just keep fucking printing money. All we're doing is printing money, printing Mm -hmm. money, printing money. And then housing affordability, it's just, it's not there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm doing first-time homebuyers. They're paying fucking $3,300 a month. It's crazy. I I often worry about that too with my kids. Exactly. It's one of those things where it's how do you you fix that, right? And that's one of those problems where... It's after the election. I have no idea. Going mm-hmm. into next year, I can I can almost certainly tell you that things are going to explode. I think housing prices are going to go up again. I think when you take a look at institutional buyers, the offer pad, open door, all those big time i buyers, they're coming out right now. And I'm sure you've seen a lot mm-hmm. of all these cash offers. They were gone for a while, yeah. but they're coming back. And if you if you follow the money, you kind of get an understanding of what, what's going they on. They got people that are way more invested economically than just your average single home buyer and whatnot. So yeah, they start making moves. That's a good indicator that they see something out there. Exactly. And so it's one of those things where I've tried to, I guess, stay to, to my whole point this whole year long. Cause I mean, I do those emails every Wednesday mm-hmm. right, where I talk about the state of the economy and I try and stay pretty neutral because for me, it doesn't matter one way or the other. I just try and give people information, but now you're kind of trying or kind of starting to see a trend for next year. And it's it's tough because in 2020, you saw it a lot with the iBuyers where they came in, they'd buy up, you know, eight, nine houses in a neighborhood. Yeah. All full ask, all cash. They buy three model matches for 100K over, 150K over. Yep. Then they build millions in equity in what, a month? Yeah. We fight all out, get that money back. So, Plus the tax savings. That's what a lot of people don't understand the game they play too, because they're a big portfolio, you know, so exactly. they get to depreciate a lot of money. That's a huge tax depreciation play for those guys too. Yeah. So. Especially once they wrap it all. Yep. And then when they cash out on all of them, that's all tax free. You got it. And so it's like, when you look at that play from 2020, people think I'm crazy for saying it's going to happen again, but they're already out buying. Well, it, it, we're moving into society too, where uh, home ownership is not, it's not a thing really. You look at a lot of multifamilies that they're building right now. A lot of people are moving out of that. And I think as the affordability begins to become out of reach for a lot of people, especially the younger generation, you know, you're almost leaving it to the hands of only becoming a renter in some ways. That's why I'm huge on just own as many as you can buy as you can. So deals pop up as they can buy in it, fix it up, live in it and sit on the thing. If you can rent it, you know, there's, it's really where a lot of people's wealth is tied up. The ones that do have it because otherwise not a lot of people have things building wealth for them outside of what they actually 
actually own, right? So yeah. um, stocks and bonds aren't bad. I know people that do great with that. I personally believe more in real estate because I get paid four ways on it, which people don't understand. But you know, you get the depreciation, you get the cash flow, you get somebody paying your mortgage off for you, and you get market appreciation as time goes on. Even in a bad market, no appreciation, you're still making you know three wins on that basically. Yeah. So and that's that's one thing I don't think anyone understands. No. It's like you're not everyone just looks at that monthly cash flow. Thing. Yeah, so you're making, even if you're breaking, I'd even pay negative. 200 bucks a month if it costs me. But if I can buy a property that's $100,000 under market value, people have no problem putting three to $400 a month into the stock market, right? But why would you not buy a house that's maybe 100,000 under market value, even if you can't rent it per se, cost you 200 bucks a month, that's still a $200 a month investment (laughs) to buy something that's 100,000 under plus the tax depreciation on it. If you look at the big picture, you're actually coming out way ahead on that, you know? Plus you have a tangible asset. You got it. Like the the stock market for me has always been tough. Not not because it doesn't perform that well, because historically it does, right? Sure. You don't have anything. Yeah. You have nothing. Yeah. It's you have nothing to sell at the end of the day. That's my thing is I have a portfolio at the day when I retire to say, hey, I can sell this all our cash flow or rent it. It just gives you some options. Yeah. So. But even for like the normal family, right? Yep. Just family of four, whatever it is, like they come on hard times. Well, they have they have an investment property and they mm-hmm. have their main house. Like we, You have options there at that point. Whereas if all your money is tied up in the stock market, stock market tanks. You got it. Then what? Yeah. Right. You can't, Which has happened to me a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, you, can't, you can't live in the stock market. Right. Yeah. And that's one of those things. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting right now. And it, it kind of, I hope things can get better. I don't know how they will, but mm-hmm. I hope they can. Cause it breaks my heart that I've got buddies of mine that, you know, they weren't in a position to buy a couple of years ago when it was affordable. And now we're looking at houses, you know, you're staring down the barrel like I said, 45 or four fifty five hundred $500,000 first time home. I think a lot of them are priced out of the market. Unfortunately, that's the only hard part. I don't think, uh, we've been having this talk since 2015. When I started, I keep telling people this is when the average sales price was like 280, then to 315, uh, prior to COVID, you know, we were 372 or 380 right in that range there. And then it jumps up to the average of five, you know what I mean? And so, uh, everybody's kind of waited, 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 but the reality of it is, is Arizona's market's a, a hot spot. You know, there's a lot of companies moving here, a lot of businesses. There is a lot of money here. I, I don't necessarily think we're going to go backwards. I just yeah. don't think it. Do I think there's going to be ebbs and flows where maybe the values go down a little bit? Sure. But I think the days of your average home in town at 300 K, I think it's long gone. I think, uh, personally, if I was a young family, if it was me starting over again, I'd probably suck it up and have to drive and I'd go buy a house, you know, on the outskirts of town somewhere, uh, sacrifice a little bit for a year or two, you know, but it's, if you know, drive until you go by, that's what they say. And then get into something, build a little bit of equity in it, you know, make a little bit of money as you get older, you know, you start earning a little bit more, making a little more, you got some equity, sell that, and then use that to go buy what you want back into town. Right. But the fact to just sit out, you're like, well, I can't find exactly what I want right here. You know, when I bought my first house, I bought it on the outskirts of town, which was Queen Creek at that time, back in 2009, it was considered outskirts, <laughs> you know, but I couldn't afford any, yeah, I just couldn't afford anything, uh, you know, in Gilbert Chandler Mesa personally, I just couldn't find anything in town. So I had to drive and I had, and I had a corporate job that was all the way down by the airport. So I was driving in traffic every day, an hour and 10 hours one way, you know, so I was spending two and a half hours a day in a car, but that's what I could afford. And, you know, guess what? That first house, after I lived in it for a while, built me enough wealth where I was able to sell that. Actually, I kept it as a rental and then I sold it, took the money, bought two more rentals, you know, and that was my stepping stone to get to where I'm at today, you know, and I think not a lot of people are willing to sacrifice that drive. Uh, but that's what the fact is you drive until you buy, or you look into another state that just 
is way more affordable for you. <laughs> you know, I'm sure a lot of people love to live in California and Washington. Well, some people probably wouldn't love to live there, but from a weather's perspective and an ocean, they're great. But hey, the reality of it is, it's just an expensive state to live in. And I think Arizona has kind of adopted that just because over the last few years, so many businesses moved here that brought higher paying jobs, higher income, you know, just people that moved here with more money and raised the value, raised the price. I don't see it changing. You know, that's the hard part is, and I actually think this year it's probably going to go up a little bit as they lower rates. Um, I think we're going to see it push up over 600 K average sales price. So I think what it looks like after that, how hard I, again, I do think we'll see the economy stagnate a little bit again after the election season, how hard I think it depends on what kind of candidate we get in place and how optimistic people are feeling about that candidate from an economic standpoint, what policies are put in place, but we'll see. Yeah, predictions a, for 2024 election. Who are you going for? Who do you think's going to take it? <laughs> I, it's I don't even know. I mean, the, the thing is, is like from a political perspective, whether you're right or left, you, you can't sit here and believe that Joe Biden's doing a good job. No, and I, I don't think this is. It's no longer a conservative versus liberal thing. I, I, agree. I think it's Americans versus whoever the hell's doing whatever's going on. I agree. You, you can't you can't sit there and think that. It makes sense, right? That all of our money, if I think it was something like something fucking crazy, like twenty million dollars a day or some shit to mm-hmm. Zelensky since March of twenty or, or whenever that started, right? And it's it's unfathomable amount of money. And then yeah. you take a look at the things that could be fixed here. So one thing, like for us, that's really important because my assistant Sean was a Marine of twenty two years mm-hmm. and a lot of family and military. So like that's one of those things where it's like veteran homelessness, like that. You, you would make an assumption that should be top of mind mm-hmm. right? for a lot of people. Veteran homelessness or cleaning up projects in lower income cities and building more jobs and things like that. It seems very unprecedented that people don't think that way. Right. When you look at the amount of money that's going elsewhere, it's hard to, without sounding like an asshole, it's, it's hard to sit there and say that it's not happening on purpose. Right. Right. Because the whole thing with San Francisco, that got cleaned up in two days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Big world dictator for lack of a better word comes in the whole city's cleaned up two days why can't you just clean the city up why is that you know a big issue yeah it's it's things like that that are getting kind of frustrating and that's why i'm saying that next year i think it's going to be so big because it's the thing about trump in my opinion is i I don't think it's him himself that's kind of like the the divisive factor as much as like what he's trying to protect right he's trying to protect is just our way of life sure right america was and is as great as it is because of the freedoms that we have and things like that. So you take a look at like Argentina mm-hmm. and what's going on over there. He yep. was just sworn in. He's literally, I think it's the first time we are out voting yep. communism and socialism, yep. right? And the whole country is going nuts. And I bet you anything in a couple of years, it's going to be a beautiful country. <laughs> yeah. It's the and two party systems that are killing it, I think, in my opinion. And I think that's the issue is a lot of people vote from a two party system instead of a common sense system we, which you have to make you know, such a divisive choice yourself yeah. like for me i'd love to sit here and say i'm you know hyper conservative and whatever but in all seriousness i'm right in the middle yep my big thing is do whatever you want leave me alone you got it right and it's anyone that comes out like robert kennedy comes out mm-hmm. do whatever the hell you want leave yep. me alone he's a problem yeah it's a problem for some reason sure right? and it's it's just crazy and there's so much involved in it that you wish that, when I was a kid, I didn't realize it. My grandpa was super into politics. Mm-hmm. Like he was calling the White House every day and everything. And um, I never understood how someone could be like that involved in it. And I know my wife gets on me sometimes because I had to mm-hmm. chill out with the news. Sure. The yeah, news, I do too. The news is bullshit. It doesn't matter if it's Fox or CNN. All of it's bullshit. Yep. And uh, 
to be fair, Joe Rogan is probably one of the most, I guess, right in the middle news organizations, yep. I guess, if you want to call it that, because all he does is talk to people. Yep, have conversations now. He, he talks to people from both sides, every side, up, down, left, right, wherever it is, and he just has genuine conversations. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where it's like I, I feel like something as simple as that just doesn't exist anymore. I'm not even that old. I'm 27. Yeah. No, I'm right, right there with you. I mean, you're not that old either, but I'm old. shit older than I'm me. old. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like I, basic concepts like that you think shouldn't shouldn't be as divisive as they are. Right. And with Trump, he was just blown up like crazy through the last couple of elections. And now I think a lot of people are coming around and they're like, the guy doesn't care. He's, he's not going to get paid off by anybody. The only reason he's doing this is to protect everyone else. Yeah. I mean, think about how many indict, indictments he's gone through Yep, trying to put him away for life. He's just standing in the way. And so that's why I think next year is just, it's tough to say. I'd love to sit here and say, yeah, Trump should be president. Mm. But then there's also uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's yep. a good one. Yep. Tucker Carlson may run for VP. Like, there's so many good options. But then at the same time, it's like everyone is, there's going to be something that you don't like. Yeah. And so it's kind of like you have to choose who you agree with the most. But I don't think it's ever going to be a situation where it's like, yeah, I agree with everything that they say. I think that a lot of trust is lost in the American people. That's what I think. I think this, I think the candidate that can restore trust, I think, because I think that's the problem is the two party systems. Nobody believes either side of them anymore. Um, And I think that nobody has faith in our government anymore, I think is the big thing. Um, I think there's just so much fuckery taking place with them and some of the shit that they say that nobody really has faith in, uh, you know, any of them, I think. And I think that that's probably what, uh, from Trump's appeal. Um, I think that people like the fact that he's not a career politician, so to say, I think that's his thing. I think he's rough on the edges for sure. What I think is going to be interesting this year is I think a lot of people are going to vote with their dollar, to be honest with you. And what I mean by that is, uh, what's most important to people. Number one is their financial hardships. (laughs) And I think right now in a very, uh, high in inflation economy where everything's friggin' expensive, which I think I've called it before. I think we're going to see this year, like an artificial push down on inflation. They're going to kind of start putting a little bit of money back into it, start lowering rates, try to stimulate, try to make things look good. But I think that ultimately people are in a lot, you know, no, nobody, no matter what, side of the aisle he voted for last year is financially just, you know, feeling good. Yeah. So I think that, uh, people are number one, naturally going to vote financially who they'll be best. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, I think that's where Trump's probably got an edge is I think he had one of the better economies when it came to that. So I think people are going to lean into him. Um, but he's a very divisive person. I like his personality personally. I, I, you know, I'm also not one of those people that tend to, uh, take everything super serious. Right. So I think some of the shit he says is funny and I can respect he's got a backbone and I agree with everything he says. I think he's rough on the edges. I think if he had better, uh, I think if he had better capabilities communicating with people, he'd probably get him a whole lot further Fuck off Twitter. Yeah. Well, I think that, or just at least having a little more, uh, the ability to display compassion towards certain topics, right? That's what it is. Uh, but I think he's going to get a good run of that. I like Vivek. I like a lot of what that guy's been saying lately, but I, I don't know. I question he's still a little young in the game and he just kind of came out. Um, he was a hedge fund manager. He, he? he was. So and he, so, so he's one of them. Yeah. So it makes you think like, is he coming out saying all this because someone wants him there? Yeah. And he's saying everything you want to hear. I like a lot of his foreign policy, which I think is interesting and stuff for sure. So that'll be, cause I don't, that's the one thing that drives me nuts. I don't think we need to be over in everybody's business. We can't be the world's bully. And it's just, it, here's the thing. I look at it this way. What country is lining up to pay their tax dollars to the U S right now? Not a damn one, but I look at why am I being taxed so much to send money to all these other places that really could give two crap if we're around anymore. You know, and at the end of the day, it's got to stop. I think we got to put us first America first. Yeah. And so I think whatever can, 
they can display that. It's going to be an interesting year. There's definitely some people coming out. Carlson will be interesting to see if he goes in a VP um, position. We'll see. I don't know. I think that would be good because he'd be able to take on a lot of like the uh, social. (laughs) He'll be the pad. He'll yeah, the social side of things. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean that's where Trump falls short. I I guess in my opinion, because when you look at everything that he did, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, yellow, purple, whatever the fuck it was. That the guy cared about people right he's a multi-billionaire and it's it's interesting to see someone that's a multi-billionaire sit there and say i care about you and your family Mm -hmm. right i I want gas prices to be low i want you to be able to afford your thanksgiving dinner and i think there was there was something i was reading the other day about it was like a comparison to home alone when he went and bought uh was it he went like bought groceries yeah yes 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 he like went bought groceries it was like 19 bucks right yep but all this shit. And then someone had put it as 2022 and like, okay, it was 19 bucks in home loan. And then in 2022, it was like $44. Mm-hmm. And then it looked at right now, 23, it was like $78. Yep. You're like, how the fuck is that? Is that possible? Right. And that's, that's the thing is, is people are just getting crushed. Right. Well, you look at it from a business perspective, right? Which I think he's good at, but a lot of the solution seems to be, uh, you know, let's raise taxes, let's raise taxes, let's raise taxes. And in, instead of it from a business perspective, that's the equivalent of we, okay, we are, we're not being super profitable. We, matter of fact, we're going into debt. Let's just keep increasing sales, increasing sales. Well, why don't you do something that's possible and immediately lower debt, right? Let's take a look at what we're spending money on, where the money's going. Let's start there. Let's make some cuts and then see a fair evaluation. But instead of just continuing to raise taxes, raise taxes, right? Eventually, people are going to get tired of it. You're almost really killing the free market. Uh, you're killing, think like about, you said, think inflation. About Boston Tea Party. Yeah. What the fuck happened? To, why I think we were always that? on a freaking three percent tax or something. Three percent tax or something, and then now <laughs> here it's we like are. Over fifty percent of my check yeah. disappears. People don't understand that when you really think about it, because they say, "Well, I'm in a twenty percent tax break." No, you're taxed over fifty percent. Don't believe me. They tax you on the money you make, then they tax you on the money you spend, then they tax you on yeah. the things that you own. You buy your vehicle. You pay taxes when you purchase that vehicle. You pay taxes to own that vehicle every month. You pay taxes on the land that you purchase every single year. And then when you sell that, you pay capital gains taxes on there, right? So then you go to the grocery store and you pay taxes with the money that you were already taxed on when you earned it. See, people don't understand that when they sit down and they say, well, I'm in a 20% tax bracket. And then the ironic thing is the more money you make in the US, the higher your bracket goes up. So they basically kill free market. They incentivize. What I think they should be putting a focus on is number one, flat tax everybody. I was okay. I was gonna throw everybody on a that. throw everybody on a flat tax system. I here's the thing: the people that are making millions, making billions, ten percent is always going to be way more than the person making ten grand a year, right? But everybody pays their fair share on that side of it. Um, and then number two, if anything, incentivize the entrepreneurs of the world. And what I mean by that is, instead of going to that guy that starts a business or that girl that starts a business and saying we're going to tax you with the more money you make, why don't we reverse that and say we're going to give you a tax benefit or incentive for every person and that you hire working because now that person going and hiring somebody for their company working for them is one, two, three, four, however many people they have less taking from our system, right? So you're incentivizing them to hire people instead of living on unemployment, living on welfare. You give them incentive to go out and start a business and keep the economy going, right? You stimulate the free market, but instead right now we're penalizing these people. The more money you make, the more we're going to take from you. And then they wonder why people say, I'm going to outsource my stuff to overseas where things are cheaper, right? They don't have a market right now that incentivizes entrepreneurs to go out and start businesses or be self-employed. You pay a self-employment tax. You work for yourself. We're going to tax you for that. How much yeah. sense does that shit make? Yeah. You know, the, the system set up like the whole tax rich thing just blows my mind. Yeah. Because it's a lot of uh, like 
financial. That's why you guys buy real estate, by the way, depreciate, save on taxes. Appreciation, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like you, you can't tax the rich. No. I'm sorry, you just can't. Do these it are the people that drive the economy. Well, it's built around their system, right? right. And all of these tax benefits. There's a reason, like you know, you've probably been a part of it, going out buying a car in, in December. Yep. Right. You're gonna go buy 150,000 car. You can. The, the really wealthy, they're buying fucking jets. Yeah. They're buying $30 million jets yep. on December 26th. Sure. Right? Why are they doing that? It's because yep. they're offsetting their time. Yep. And so... They're going to spend that money. I'll spend that money for getting to live a little bit of, you know, from a business perspective, luxury. <laughs> and like the, so. the flat tax thing, I mean, I'd have to dig into like the math behind it because that's probably a crazy situation. But I've always wondered that. Like, why is there not just a flat, like, 10%, yeah. 15%. Everybody pays 10% in this country. We will be years ahead of where we're at right now from a financial standpoint. If the money stays here. It will, all that too. Yeah, that's where you got to <laughs> yeah. fill the holes in the bucket. That's yeah. the thing. But Keep the money in the economy. Yeah, you're yeah. not going to be able to tax the rich. And it's like they've created this, this divide into thinking that rich people are bad, right? Yeah. And in my opinion, like I was watching something, I think it was with Ben Shapiro, and this one guy was asking about like making pencils, right? It's like, well, if you don't have me, you're not making any fucking pencils, and it's like, well, if you don't have me, there's no rubber, there's mm. no wood, there's no graphite, there's no building, there's no structure, there's no, you know, millions of dollars in loans that I'm holding to cover the business. Like, yep. people just have such a, a well. What they don't understand is the entrepreneurs. It's not like they make this money and they sit on it. What do people that make millions and billions do? They spend it. They put that money back in the economy. They go out and buy cars. They buy houses. They hire people. They grow their businesses, which then those employees go and spend money. Yeah, they put money back in the economy, right? So it's a trickle-down effect that they're not... Either way, like I said, it goes right back to you you need to incentivize the people to go out and grow and build and create, right? This is how you keep the American... We were literally founded on capitalism. You You look at everything that we use, every invention out there, every auto Automobile, everything was founded 100% on capitalism that we have, right? And then people complain about jobs going overseas, but we make it so expensive that business owners have no choice but to go overseas, right? Like that's, this is where I think it's, you know, whatever president can get in and start solving that stuff. And I don't know if they ever will. That's the thing is <laughs> but, how, do you, how do you fix that? Because realistically, like if you- I think you change whole- the tax code. I think, like I said, the first thing you do, you go in and you look at where the money's going. It's going overseas. Why are we funding these overseas? And I guarantee you part of it is because we have our hands in their pockets in some ways too, and it benefits certain people that's sending money over there. But the flip side of that is, is you say, number one, you plug the holes in your bucket, right? Like you can keep putting water in there, but it's going to keep leaking out until you figure out where it's leaking, right? So you plug the holes in the bucket and you stop the leaks. We stop sending money to the places that we shouldn't be sending it to. We keep it in the economy. Secondly, I think you go in and you incentivize people. You rewrite the tax code. You stop penalizing the people that are trying to push this economy forward and move it, right? You Here's the thing. We incentivize people. The, the tax code is literally built to keep people poor, right? Okay. Uh, you have X amount of kids, we're going to give you all these benefits, right? For that, which I don't think it should be that way. Oh, you, uh, if you're unemployed, we're going to let you stay on unemployment for two freaking years. And, and on top of that, we're going to raise the unemployment rate so high that it's actually, you get paid more in some cases to simply stay home than you would going and getting a minimum wage job, right? So we're incentivizing people to stay poor. Oh, by the way, the more money you make, the more we're going to take. So how about you just stay poor and we'll incentivize you with a cheaper tax bracket, right? So you look at the entire the way the entire system is, it keeps a big gap between the poor and the wealthy. There's that middle class that really gets screwed, right? Because the poor get a lot of the benefits. The wealthy, uh, you know, there's they they have figured out how to get around taxes or at least how to depreciate and how to buy assets. But it's that middle class that's trying to make the come up that's saying, Hey, I'm making hundred K right now, 150K that they're just outside of the government's reach of getting any kind of benefit. Like for example, I know I started making I think eighty or ninety K and I lost all my write offs for my kids. 
they cost me the same amount of money, right? But the government said, you make too much money, so I no longer get a deduction on my taxes for my kids that I pay the same amount, right? But because I make more, I don't need it anymore, right? So, and then you just haven't made enough money to start buying assets that you could depreciate and stuff like that. So it's that middle class that has the hardest time. You have to break through that ceiling and start making really good money to buy things that you can depreciate and save money. But that's where the biggest divide is right now. It's where the biggest gap is for those people. If If you had to put a number on it, like a yearly salary, like where do you think that is? Because I, I see it, I see it all the time. So I, I think I, if you're here's the thing, man. Like if you're making a hundred k these these days, it ain't shit anymore. And I remember you're now, you're now at one hundred twenty grand. You're now the lower middle class, right? And yeah. People don't get that, and I know that scares the shit out of a lot of people. But if it's you not. At, you look at average rent twenty five hundred, three grand a month, car payment anywhere from five to a thousand dollars a month. Groceries going to cost you between a single person right now. Like you said, the grocery store four or five, six hundred bucks a month. Then you pay your taxes, and you got your cell phone bill seventy, eighty bucks. You know, roughly gas costs you anywhere from sixty to one hundred and sixty bucks to fill your tank up, depending if you drive a truck, you know, like that money goes real fast right now. <laughs> it doesn't go. And then, and then they've got what, 500, maybe a thousand hours left over a month. Yeah. What are you going to do with that? I don't know, take right. somebody out on a date. There goes and your then, 500 bucks. Exactly. But then you, <laughs> then you take on that philosophy, right? Like they're not able to put money away because everyone just knows like liquid capital, but then yep. you're not taught how to leverage anything. So I was, right. I was going through this with someone the other day, an older client, and uh, it was kind of talking about HELOCs. Mm-hmm. And so like when Emily and I built our new house, we did it using a HELOC from our condo yep. because, I mean, it was unprecedented that it, it, when it appreciated as much as it had. But I used debt to buy more debt. Sure. And, and some people think I'm crazy for that. But yep. it's the people that don't think I'm crazy are people like you. Yep. Right? You're Nobody teaches you. That's right. the thing, though. They don't. Here's the thing. I was just talking to my kids about that the other day at school, right? They teach you everything but what you really need to survive, right? Like, I don't give a fuck about trigonometry. I don't need that shit, right? Why don't you teach me how to balance a checkbook? Why don't you teach me how to go get my first credit card and leverage and teach me how to, yeah, teach me how to build good credit, right? Teach me how to go fill out a job application. Like, why are none of these basic essential life skills, right? Um, They're learning woodworking, which is cool if they were going to go make some tables, but, you know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I just, the system is broken in that fact. I know when I, I come from, a you know super poor family like we didn't have shit and that's because i'm fully convinced my parents didn't understand financial literacy right because nobody taught them pay cash for everything pay cash for everything well okay i could pay cash for everything but um then i don't have multiple properties that i could depreciate right instead of leveraging why don't i go leverage debt and then have people rent those properties for me and pay that debt off for me (laughs) and i get to reap the benefits of ownership i get to reap the benefit and that's that's a situation where you get the you know the dave ramsey fans are like pay cash pay cash but there is and i'm not saying go out and max out your credit cards right there's there's good debt and there's bad debt but if you're leveraging debt in the form of buying things that are assets that are going to make you money that's a good thing but nobody teaches you that stuff right you never hear anybody preach about that except for some of us on instagram but there's no like economics class that says, here's how you leverage debt. Here's the benefit of owning something. Here's how you get good credit. Here's how you work out the math to see if this is a good investment for you or not. You know, it's so black and white of go put your money in the stock market, which goes up or goes down, you know, which is what I was told my entire twenties. You know, it wasn't until I started hanging around people that were, yeah, it wasn't until I started hanging around people that were wealthy and I'm like, what are you doing? Right. And there's a reason most of the wealthy people own real estate, not to sound cliche because I'm in real estate, but I ended up in real estate. 90% of millionaires. I ended up here for that reason. I I owned other businesses. I was doing e-commerce and marketing when I lost my corporate job. I didn't have that 401k benefit anymore. The crazy thing is being self-employed. I think I only get to fund my 401k like 13,000, whatever it is, 13 or 16,000 a year. Like that's it. That's all I get to fund it. So 
Um, if we factor that in, okay, so I'm maxed out on my own 401k. The government won't let me literally invest anything more, or I could just go buy a couple more rental properties, pick them up at 80% of market value, immediate 20%, you know, and I just put myself ahead a hundred thousand dollars in, in, you know, net net worth basically by buying yeah. a couple properties that are, nobody teaches you this stuff. And so I think that's a big part of our went, problem too. I went through college and then I have two finance degrees and I didn't learn shit. Yeah. Like not, not to be that guy. Like I, yeah. I learned basic economic principles and everything, but in terms of how to genuinely like apply money, right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and what I was talking to someone the other day about, about the whole HELOC thing, why I brought that up is I swear to God, when you say second mortgage, people freak out. Yeah. Every movie, every TV show you've ever seen, it's like the husband takes out a second mortgage. Wife doesn't know all hell's breaking loose. Right. And it, it's almost like there's this implied stigma that a second mortgage is bad. Sure. Right. But on, my condo, for example. So I pulled the money from that, built a new house. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay a dime. Yeah. Someone else pays for it. Yep. And it's one of those things where I'll, I'll tell people that, oh, well, you know, what happens if there's not a renter and this and that? And it's like, you, you guys are looking at very, very small what ifs. It's a, it's a calculated risk. I mean, you got to run the numbers. Some numbers just don't make sense, right? Like exactly. there there's some rental properties I own that... Uh, I'm like, yeah, I own a rental property. Cool. But the, the, the cash flow, like just all, fa- all economic factors, right? Like maybe I looked at it and I'm like, this thing's probably not going to appreciate anymore. Uh, this thing probably has a lot of maintenance coming up. I make $200 a month cash flow. I only get to depreciate it so much. And every time a tenant moves out, it's costing me on this particular property, X amount of dollars. I'm breaking even on this thing. Does it make sense? No, it's a bad business play. You sell it, you move on and you go buy a better investment, right? But you do enough of that over time, you will come out ahead. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing. But it's a calculated risk. Some numbers don't pencil out. That's the thing. Not every house will be a rental property. You know, if you've got a $800,000 home in downtown Gilbert and the rents are $3,000 a month and your mortgage is 4,000. Of course, that's not going to be a rental, but there's plenty of properties across the country that could be. There's plenty of off-market deals you can buy, fix and flips that somebody just needs to get out of it. Maybe you buy that property, you take over their mortgage, you let them stay at a discounted rental rate. I mean, there's so many options out there. Again, it's just like any other investment and you have to run the numbers and does it make sense? Yes or no. But I firmly believe in the long run, if you're holding enough properties, you know, at least you got something to show for at the end of your life and you can sell those. (laughs) So... It, it just blows my mind how little people educate themselves on something like that. Yeah. Right? Everyone's always on this like get rich quick scheme, which is where I think a lot of these like that's social media for you. Like, yeah. yeah. I blame I mean, social media for that. I mean, everyone's attention. So you see my emails on Wednesday. I literally have to put a fucking entire subject in there for like bullet pointed things mm-hmm. because some people were complaining that they had to read my five minute email. Yeah. And it's like, I, I'm doing a full. They just want you to like package up all the information and slam it it's in like their face. Email this, and it's, it's. I don't understand. It's. I. I'll spend an hour and a half typing this thing out because I want people to be smarter. I want people to be more intelligent when it comes to money. Yeah. Because I mean, a, it's a better conversation. I fucking hate talking to people where they just don't know shit about mm-hmm. money. And then it's one of those things where they won't even go as far as to read a book. Right. I, I fucking hate reading. I love it. Thing, I've learned but, to love it. I used to hate. It. I learned to love it now. Yeah. But what I've realized, like from that email. Sorry, everyone that's on it, but a lot of it's from me right? in terms of like the education process, like me just typing that out and going through everything. I mean, it, it's good for a lot of people to hear whether you're in real estate investing or anything at all, right? Mm-hmm. Just un- the general understanding of what's going on in the market and like basic money principles is, is what I feel like people just don't understand. And that right. it, it sucks because I'm not that old. And uh, I, I think like my mission statement as I've gotten older and like been able to run into some money through work and everything is like, I want to 
pass that on to a lot of people because I don't think I'm that fucking special. No, I'm really not. I just my thing is I always knew that I wanted to take care of my family and I wanted to like build a good life for them. And it was one of those things where I was like, okay, how do I do that? The, the, right. the crazy thing is like the knowledge is out there. Like just how it was for you it's and me. Like it's free. out there. It's, it's fucking free. University. It is. Don't, don't go to fucking college. Yeah. It's Unless funny. you're a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, don't go to college. Man, I've had that talk with my son. We were just talking about that because they were like, should we go to college? I don't know. It's such a struggle for me because I think when I went to school, it was a thing. And then I have my degree. I've got it. But um, the crazy thing is, is like, I don't, I wouldn't say I use it. I use certain aspects of it. I'm glad I have it. Uh, but I always think about, I'm like, man, if I took that same 80, $120,000, could you go to one person that's just crushing it in life and say, Hey, for the next two years, are you willing to mentor me and show me everything you friggin' know that's and teach me, people don't teach me how anything. to make, yeah. Teach me how to make money with the same. And then I look at like, if somebody came to me and they're like, Blake, I'm going to give you 80 to a hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to shadow you for two years, two years. Just teach me everything. Show me how to buy rentals. Tell me, show me what you do. Show me, set me up on the path. Like they got to put in the work, just like you with a college degree. You don't get a degree and magically make a lot of money guaranteed. I can make them more money right out the gate. Now I do agree with you though. Um, in the effect of, I think if you're going to be a doctor, you got to get a degree, right? There's just yeah. things that I wouldn't say, Hey, go hang out with this doctor and just don't, I mean, there's things that practically yeah, do a heart surgery. Yeah. Trades. <laughs> absolutely. But here's the thing like marketing. I, I, I look at my marketing classes and what they were teaching us. The psychology of marketing makes sense, but it's changed so much, right? You look at somebody had a marketing degree from 1996. Good luck. What do they teach you how to write a newspaper ad? Yeah. That shit's antique. Now things change so much. Plus you have access to YouTube. You have right now, if you wanted to learn everything you needed to know about creating an email list or marketing with psychology of it, it's on the internet right now for free. 1599. You got it for YouTube premium. Yep. And you could learn more in, in six months I agree. with a four year degree. Like I agree. I, my, my neighbor take that same our, 80 K and invest it in yourself in a yeah, business. Yeah. yeah. So like my, my neighbor, when we were still in the condo, he was, uh, came out of the air force and then he's working for Northrop Grumman and yep. he was trying to get a, a raise at work and it mm-hmm. required him to have a certain degree. Now he had the GI bill, which is good. Sure. He didn't pay for it, but yep. he came over one day and he's like, dude, you have to fucking watch this. Like, okay. So he logs into his class. <clears throat> I don't know what the class was, but he logs into it. And then the, the assignment is click on this video, blah, blah, blah. Well, he clicks on the video. It's a link to YouTube, to Khan Academy. Mm. It's like, wait a second. So I know it's GI Bill, but still, it's like 30 grand of the schooling, and you're yep. getting a link to YouTube. Mm-hmm. They're not doing anything. Right. Why are you paying money for that? Yeah, fucking just 15. for the name. That's what I'm saying. Fifteen ninety nine a month, you get no commercials. Sweet, <laughs> you can learn anything. Like every, pretty much everything. Masterclass. That's my favorite. I love Masterclass. Masterclass is a good one, too. Yeah, I love but Masterclass. Is, you want to learn how to fucking cook? Yeah. Up on YouTube. Yep. It's like... It's one of those things where in today's world, that's not necessarily, and, and, and it seems to me, because I, I went to college because of baseball. Yeah. So, and I, I told my family, and I tell everyone this, if I wasn't playing baseball, I would not have gone to college. Mm-hmm. There's zero doubt in my mind. Um, I went to college because I got it for free because I worked there. Yeah. <laughs> that's but it. Exactly. It's like, if that wasn't there, like you probably wouldn't have gone. No, right? I don't, th- I don't I, think so. I started right out of high school and then I just hated it. I, I was making more money and that's what I was chasing. I was important in my twenties. And then I ended up getting a job. They kind of like for that next promotion required it, but they also gave it to us while we worked there. So I naturally went and got it, but I'm glad I did. Cause I couldn't even imagine still having that. I know people that are still paying there in their forties, paying their, you know, college degrees off and, you know, and it, 
most cases I'm doing way better than most of those people financially. Right. And so it's, it's, I don't know. I haven't seen a whole lot of proof. That's the tough part. I mean, again, doctors, things like that, attorneys, you know, lawyers, like all that stuff, I think definitely requires degrees. There's some, definitely some schooling that goes into that kind of stuff, but just your basic business, marketing, entrepreneurship. Yeah. Communications, like whatever. Yes. It's tough. And then I think moving forward, like in the next decade or so, the biggest money makers in the world are going to be tradesmen. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. They're going to kill it. I told, yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, how many kids out of high school, what is it? So my son's great. I look at all of them and they're all want to be, everything's digital. They want to do everything online and digital. Um, I remember in my generation, I graduated in 03. So I was like right on the front edge of, um, I think I was right on the front edge of like the whole IT thing coming out. People like that's when IT were getting it, but it wasn't like kids. None of my people in my class were graduating. Like, oh, I'm gonna go be a IT oh, guy. Computer. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not gonna do that. I was just on the front end of when that stuff was starting. But most of the people, like we went into heavy equipment trades. Like I went into welding and doing dirt work and warehousing work and stuff like that. And that's what it was. It was all trades. But now this new, like my son's generation, none of those guys. They're not friggin' gonna go do dirt work and heavy equipment. And I think there's gonna be a massive shortage in that field yeah. for sure i think that's like hvac plumbing all that like and those guys are those guys are gonna freaking kill it they have like zero competition at we that no debt too I yeah mean, you, okay so i've got a buddy who he was we were just a fucking nightmare in high school i don't know why <laughs> we were smarter than everyone else like in from an intelligence perspective mm-hmm. but like we didn't give a shit about school yeah and it's just how it was but so he ended up getting kicked out of school mm-hmm. uh which was funny but this guy makes a shit ton of money as yeah. a lineman. He's a journeyman lineman. Yep. And uh, I look at him and I look at his life and I look at some other you know clients that I have that are similar age. And I'm like, dude, you guys are you guys are getting shit on. You're yeah. making like eighty grand a year. You've got you know eighty grand in debt. Yep. You know he's making a boatload of money with no debt. Or you know guys that go to like like you were saying with welding. You go to Arizona Automotive, uh, Evit. You know when you're in high school, wherever you want to go, one year and you can become a welder. You can come out. You can do anything go fucking apprentice here's the thing go apprentice under somebody like you want to be an automotive mechanic go find the dude that's running a super successful automotive shop can i come work for you for two years let him teach you everything you need to freaking know you're either going to end up running that shop taking it over buying it off him starting your own but either way you're going to get hands-on training and get paid for it behind the scenes of somebody that is successful and can show you this is how i do this this is how i run this business you know framer like you need a degree no you want to go be a well here's the thing you you ask any like i know a guy that right now who's crushing custom homes i'm like how'd you learn he's like i started off as a framer that's what i did started off as a framer Uh, i worked for this guy that was a contractor he showed me did this and then i started a uh he started a landscaping business and then he's like i run the framing crew and then before you know it he actually started hiring me because i started a framing you know just the evolution it's it's like baking a cake dude everything's got its ingredients and then you know if you are missing an ingredient it's not going to happen if you try to bake it too fast and get burnt bake it too slow it's never going to happen but if you give it enough time and you put the right ingredients in place it will come to fruition it's the same thing you go work for somebody that is doing what you want to do in any business or any career right but you go mentor underneath them that's the thing no, i'm not key thing saying you get a college degree go mentor like you want to become a framer you want to own your own hvac company go work for somebody learn how to do it for two or three years get really freaking good at that position until you're like literally the best dude at that company and say okay it's time to go start my own or can i become a partner or can i buy this off of you right a couple different choices there but you'll go so much further than sitting your ass in a class for four years and say teach me how to do 
HVAC. Great. You're a great technician, but did you learn behind the scenes, the running the operations of the business too? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Did you, did you understand the sales? Did you understand that? That's why I said, I, I think you can really layer on a lot of different skill sets just by simply mentoring underneath people in my opinion, but yeah. Yeah. it's just talking to people. Like, yeah. People don't do that but i just parlay that mm-hmm. right the whole like mindset thing if we go into let's say lifting right like mm. what is what's lifting for you because i know what it is for me um it's a combination of things number one i just don't want to be out of shape like let's be real like i'm in sales and then number two i just got tired of looking in the mirror and being freaking not not liking what i saw dude yeah, that's so, what so, it is so, like that's yeah, if i had so to be like, honest with you that, so what does that do for you right because it's now we're in this this social dilemma where it's like you're shamed for this and that or whatever, but it's like, what, what is you looking into a mirror and like, you're happy with what you're saying? Like, mm-hmm. What does that do for you? man? I think number one, it builds your confidence, right? Like if you look in the, like if you have high confidence and you're in a sales position, you're going to naturally do better, right? You have that dude that maybe yeah, you're killing it financially, but you look in the mirror and you're just not happy with it, or you just aren't happy with the shape. Maybe you're not happy with the way you feel. You're not happy with the way you look. It's going to bleed. You're not operating at a hundred percent. You're not at a, you're not running at a high enough frequency, right? In my opinion, you should be at a high frequency. I think that you have to have your mindset in check because I, I know people that are financially successful, but physically they're not in good shape at all. And it, you know, you could just tell, like you just look on their face, like they don't feel good. They don't, That's you know, thing you, they can't buy. you can't buy, you can it's tell like, you, and buy. I think that the other side of that too, for me is it's just habit inconsistency. There's something to be said about somebody that can wake up every day and you're not getting paid for it. In most cases, nobody even fucking sees you doing the work. Like I get up every day at three 30 in the morning, 4am and nobody sees me doing nobody's even out there. I don't even pass a fucking soul unless I get my phone out and make a video, like a motivational post, but I do it for me. I'm not out there for anybody else. Nobody's telling me to do that shit, but I do it because I like structure. I like consistency. And I know that if every day I can get up and do it, even on days, I don't feel like it. Those are the days I need to do it the most. Like then you give yourself a win, right? So for me, it's I really don't feel like doing this shit today. And then I get up and I go outside and I'm like, all right, I did it. And so now I'm going to go do this. And then nine times out of 10, you feel way better. By the time I'm like halfway done with my mile, I'm like, oh, thank God I did this, right? I'm feeling good. I'm up and moving. I got myself out of bed. Uh, but you just prove to yourself you're holding a promise to yourself, right? That And that's what I think not a lot of people understand is you're going to waver away. Like if you, it's no different than when I go to interview people. Everybody's heard this shit. Um, if I go to interview people or I'm looking for a tenant, I'll go out and I'll look at their car and I look at it. You're not going to tell me that your car looks like hot garbage full of fucking trash and shit, but you're going to tell me that you're the most clean, cleanly friggin' person there is out there right now. You can say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a maid. Okay, cool. You clean houses, but why is your personal shit trash? Like, why does it look like crap? Right? Cause then that just tells me you don't take pride in your own things. You know what I mean? Now I'm not saying we're not going to have a kid in the backseat and we're busy ass days showing homes or working and there's some French fries and I'm not talking about that. We all know what I'm talking about that car. If it's like washed once a month, got bird shit all over it. Backseats. You got, you drink your, pockets, yeah, you drink your big gulp. There's tissues and shit in there. It then like at the end of every day at any given time, you can go out in the parking lot, look at my car. I don't leave trash in my car. It drives me crazy. Like even if I get, if I'm on the road and I got some wrappers and stuff, they go in a plastic bag. It because I think that all of that translate, if you let your personal health slide, right? And what I mean by that is, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you need to be like a complete full on health nut, right? We need to enjoy life and, you know, have some crap. I got a sweet tooth. I eat sugar stuff. But if you can't take pride in the way that you look and do it for yourself, 
how are you going to tell me you're optimizing in your business hundred percent? Now, can you make money? Sure. But I still think that to be the absolute best version of yourself, you got to take care of yourself. You got to, you know, you got to hold those promises to yourself. And if you can learn to adapt the promises yourself to go to the gym. So for me, it's every day I hold myself consistent. I don't love going there every day. Some days I do, you know, but there's days I don't feel like freaking going, but it's a non-negotiable for me. I go because if you start slipping in one area of life and you hold yourself to low standards when it comes to you, like your physical health, what makes me think that you're going to hold yourself accountable to your business? What makes me think that if you're telling me on a day, I just don't feel like working out or a week or I'm going to fall off the bandwagon or I can't put that fucking ding dong down and I'll put it in my mouth when I know I need to go, you know, work out or I haven't earned it at least, you know, at least get your ass up and go do a freaking couple hours worth of cardio and earn that shit. You know, what makes me think that when it comes to your business, you're going to do the shit you don't want to do right at all. It's all, it's all, I just, I don't think I've ever met anybody in any area of life that is polar opposites in one side. Like um, I'm super organized and very tidy over here in my business, but I'm a slob in my personal life. They just don't go together, you know? Yeah. I mean, it happens, so, but it's not, it's yeah. not very common. And right. The big thing for me is, I guess there's two. One is delayed gratification. Yeah. People don't understand that. And time back to like the whole Patience. media thing, dude, like how fucking swiping yep it is addicting yeah and i was like i was telling my wife too because uh, now it gets worse and worse like more and more to like build up that freaking well, intensity the, this uh screen time thing on my phone now yeah and i've been trying really really hard to like rear that back down because it's fucking addicting yeah i'm right? like on the opposite side of that hill i'm going the other way i actually enjoy not being on my phone anymore well, that's where I'm, like, <laughs> I'm trying to get away from that because i noticed it's like and it's so tailored now to where it's just like so much fucking dopamine, mm-hmm. so much dopamine. You just swipe. swipe, swipe, swipe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You got to teach yourself patience now. Yeah. So delay gratification is a big one, right? Like a lot of people ask me, um, you know, like the, what's the point of like doing what I do in the gym? First mm-hmm. off, it's for me. I don't fucking yeah. care what you think, yep. right? I want to bench 500 pounds. Mm-hmm. How's it going to help you in your life? Well, fuck you. Cause I want to, cause I want to do it. Cause I want right? to do it. Yeah. But the biggest thing for me, I guess is, is I'm a big believer in like, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of anyone else. Yeah. So like for me, Right, like Emily and I want to start a family, and I've been doing everything humanly possible to make sure that like I can take care of her. Yeah, right. And and I I think some people will kind of put themselves last, and they'll they'll die to take care of their family. And it's you you can obviously appreciate that, but it's like how much more could you have done if you took care of yourself from like both mentally and physically? Right. Yeah. Like well, lifting. like what example are you setting for your kids too? Right. Like, hey, eat healthy, be in shape, go da 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 da, and like you fucking don't look. Yeah, like you don't. Yeah. <laughs> what you know? What what's what standard are you setting? Right? Like, yeah, hundred percent. Well, like let, let's say like from a mental perspective too. Like, like men with like acting out on their emotions, right? Like, they're like very violent. Yeah. Right, and that's a very broad thing to say, but like from at least a male perspective, whether you want to call it alpha male, whatever the hell you mm-hmm. want to call it, there's something to be said about like if I've had a terrible day for whatever reason, right? Business, personal shit, whatever it is. Like going to the gym, it's just me. And that's it. Yeah. And I'm just, just fucking abusing my body and it's, it's doing nothing but helping me like mm-hmm. from a mental perspective. Cause like you said, then I go home and I feel really good and I feel like I'm in a position then where I can like think clearer yeah. and things like that. So it's, it's not always going in trying to bench the world, deadlift the world. It's like, sometimes you need to go there just to get away and yeah. do something. And it's something like that where people they'll stay in their house. They'll be in a shit mood. They'll stay in their house and they'll eat. Yeah. They'll eat, <laughs> they'll eat their, their problems away. Exactly. And it's, it's like, you could have just done a little bit of something. I think, especially with Instagram and stuff now, it's like, everyone thinks there's some of these guys are so fucking over the top, right? Where it's like, if you, you know, if you're not just, just like Greek God, 
then you're not going to be successful. Yeah, I don't like, do well with a, that shit not either. Everyone needs that. I think it's, it's like, like the opposite extreme where these dudes are on like they're on like yelling all the time. I was like, I can't do that shit either. Yeah, it's just like, like screaming into yeah. the mic. And like, you're a pussy. It's like, well, you may be right, but whatever, dude. At least I sleep at night. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where it's like there's a lot of guys. I love asking people like why why they go to the gym. I think mine's like yours, but I do mine in the beginning of the day for that reason. So for me, it's, I'm a creature of consistency. And so if you look at most people, right, when people fall into slumps or ruts or depressions, it's because of inconsistencies in their life, right? So something, um, they were doing something at a high level and then something changes. So maybe they were active and then they get hurt and then they're like, I can't go be active. Or maybe they had a job that they love and then they lost that. And then that changed, or maybe they were in a relationship and then they lost that and that changed. And then they, so it's always these like things in life that happen that takes them out of consistency and routine. And then, so especially when you wake up every day and you're like, I don't really know what my day is going to look like because people don't actually have control. Well, they do, but they, what I mean by that is not a lot of people take control of their day. So for me, it's the consistency side of it. So I don't wake some days I wake up in a horrible mood just for no reason. You know what I mean? I just carry a lot of stress some days. It's not fair for me to take that out on my kids or spouse or freaking my people that work with me, right? Or my clients, like nobody wants to see me be an asshole every day. So that's why I get up every day. And by the time I have a consistent routine, I can level my attitude out regardless. You're not going to go walk, do cardio, go lift. Like you said, go to the gym. You're not going to go do that for an hour or two and still be in a really bad mood most likely after that. Right. So you give yourself and for me personally, this is why I get up at three 30 or four in the morning. I give myself two to three hours to sort out myself in the morning, right? So that way, by six thirty, seven o'clock, when I'm done, everybody gets the best version of me, right? I've had a, I've had two hours to myself to really get that out. Whether and some days I'm lucky, right? I call it a bonus day. I actually wake up motivated, which is maybe one out of everybody thinks I'm highly motivated. I'm, I, you know, I'm not. Nobody really is. But for me, that's what I found works is is to start every day off consistently. I have to do the same thing every morning. Some people are like, well, I just don't want to wake up. All right, well then, wake up late start your day late and then you got to rush to get your kids out of the house and then you got to rush and then you look like a slob running out the door because you didn't have time to do yourself up and take a shower and then you wonder why the rest of your day goes like shit because you're in a hurry right you didn't give yourself any time in the morning so for me that personal time in the morning uh i get myself out of the way i call, I call it my selfish time but by the time i'm done personally by six thirty or seven i've got all that out and then after that i'm just ready to go i don't i feel like i took care of myself you know yeah. <laughs> before everybody else and i'm able to then give myself to everybody so for me that's it's been important for that reason yeah there's just a lot more involved in going. It doesn't even have to be the gym. I mean, like you said, going on a walk, doing sure. something. There's so much more involved in it than just you know going and picking something up, putting yeah. it back down. And it's it's interesting too. Is even like going to the gym. There's people that just don't have a plan. No, they, they just don't know. There's so many people they just show up. up. <laughs> Which you're doing better than most. Yeah, you're there. Congratulations. That's in itself is huge. But then it's even something like that. Like I've got a lot of buddies that range from you know pro bodybuilders to pro powerlifters. Mm -hmm. And then I've got all the buddies in between and I hang out with all of them and every one of them, they have an uncanny ability to to tell me exactly what they want. Yep. They know this. They know what they want. want They know what they're working towards. Exactly. And so they have some sort of goal, but then they have normal jobs, normal, everything else. So Mm -hmm. I've got buddies that are big time powerlifters. They want to hit a certain number and they'll for two hours. That's all they're thinking about. And so it's one of those things where it's for some people, it's kind of an escape. Too, because I mean, life is yeah. hard. Especially oh, yeah. right now, we just talked about the economy. Oh yeah, there's people getting crushed right now, right? And if it's you get an hour and a half a day, like you said, especially like away from your family and stuff. I mean, we don't have kids yet, but yep. I can imagine being a parent stressful. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you get that time to yourself to take care of yourself, where a lot of people don't. Yeah. And then, like you said, that pours over into their family life because you're pissed off, you're stressed, you didn't get to deal, you know, with your problems yourself or whatever. Yeah. And some people ride bikes, I guess. 
not a big well let's be real you gotta you gotta be in shape you gotta look good for your spouse you owe it to them that's like that's thing. what there is too yeah. <laughs> I kinda, that's a thing too and i pan out like i look at things from a very like if you pan out and you look at things from a perspective with just the human species right like i look at take um take the last 30 years away most people's jobs it was laborish type jobs like you had to get out you had to move you had to leave you had to a lot of guys did like we said blue collar work and stuff like that and then you look at the technology age as of recently, most people are just, I sit at home, I sit in front of a computer, I don't move my body. And I don't think us as like human species was meant to just fucking sit and degenerate ourselves. You know what I mean? In a way or uh, decompose. If you like not work out, like we're made to work out, we're made to lift like testosterone levels and dudes are like at all time lows right now uh, from the foods we eat, from the lack of working out, the lack of hard, you know, you, I think back to like a hundred years ago, you look at those dudes and what they did, like, Scott and I go out and hike a mountain and stuff. You know what I mean? And we're like, Oh, he's like, Oh, this is really hard. And I'm like, yeah, it is. But then you think you're like, well, fuck some dude, this was this dude's walk to work every day. Cause you can see his camp was at the bottom. We hike up to the top of the trail where the gold mine and all that stuff was. That was a dude's normal day is chiseling into this friggin' mountain. You know what I mean? And then you laugh and you think about the kid today. Who's like bitching about having to get up before 10 o'clock in the morning. And you're just like, Holy shit. Like as a society, are we really moving in the right direction? People are getting weaker. Uh, they don't want to challenge themselves. People are afraid of putting themselves through like pain, right? You look at yourself and you say, I'm going to build myself into like, if you take yourself and you say, I want to build myself into the absolute most best version I can be. Are you going to give yourself the easiest task? Are you going to do it? You're going to build yourself into a hard person by putting them through some kind of challenging things, right? Whether that's working out mentally, physically, whatever, all of those hard things are going to develop. You'd say, no, I want to put that person through the hardest test. The hardest challenge is no different than the Marines and stuff like that, where they put their best people through the challenges, the seals, the best of the best. You got to, you got to go through some hard shit to prove your worth, right? That's how you should be looking at yourself every day in life. You know, like, so my brother, for example, Ken, Ken also works here mm-hmm. and we were at the gym one day. It was me, him and my buddy. And we were doing just like, like overhead press, standing overhead press. And Ken was doing like a 10 on each side. And then we put one more 10 on each side. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. And Scott and I were like, just, <laughs> just do it. You're good. Just, just do try it. it. Right. Long story short, like 20 minutes later, he ends up overhead pressing 135. Yeah. Didn't after, know he could do it. His fucking eyes got all big. Yeah. Built confidence. And he was just like, how the fuck did I do that? And I'm like, dude, it, it's everything in life is like that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's always like that's I. So I max once a week, always, yep. always, whether I hit it or not, don't give a shit. I'm always doing it. Yep. And um, it's one of those things like from a mental perspective, it's like Ken went from what is that math? It's fucking 40, 85 pounds to 135 pounds, mm-hmm. right? Which huge for him. But it's one of those things where he just couldn't understand how he was able to do that. Yep. And I was like, and you probably could have done more. Yep. It's, it's finding that limit of like what you're capable of, whether it's moving weight, starting a business, doing whatever it is. Mm-hmm. People, I swear to God, people live at like 60%. Yeah. Always. Yeah. They're not pushing themselves. Even like people that believe they're high performing, whatever they, they have this issue where they're just not testing the boundaries, I guess. So like, and I was telling my wife about this too. Like we, we like sending the, or setting the goals, new year's goals, resolutions, whatever they are. Yep. And I looked back to the past two or three years. Cause my mom keeps them. And I've had, at the time, what was just the most unrealistic shit. Mm-hmm. Like every every goal that I have was incredibly unrealistic. It wasn't achievable. And looking back on it now, and I can start checking that off, checking it off, checking it off. And I'm like, how the fuck? Like we made this happen, yep. right? And it's, so I continue to set goals that are just so unbelievably unrealistic. And people don't do that. I think people are like, oh, I want to make 100 grand next year. And they make 80 grand this year. Yep. It's like, okay, that's... Not to be not to be an asshole, but that's not that fucking hard, right? right? And it's it's one of those things where it's like you make a hundred grand, set your goal for three, 
Yep. Well, what if I don't hit it? Who, who gives cares? a shit? You'll yeah, hit 150. Exactly. Still went ahead. Yeah. But it's one of those things where people limit themselves even in their, their thinking. And yep. so like at the gym for me, it's like, I try and find the limit, yeah. right? Because it's, it that just all pours over for me. Like yep. I can leave the gym and if I hit a, you know, big lift, it's like, that's my PR or something like the other day I PR on bench and my fucking rest of my week yep. was insane. Yep. And it was just from that one stupid little thing that really meant nothing but it's just constantly moving the needle like a little bit mm-hmm. every day. Cause some people, they just stay so stagnant and they're like, I'm comfortable here. Kind of like when, when Emily and I moved out of the, our condo. Yep. So we have that as a rental now, but that payment was like fucking a third yeah. of what ours is now. <laughs> and I remember her and I just sitting down talking about it. And I was like, hey, how, yeah. like, how, how are we going to do this? Right. And now here we are six months in, I'm like, Oh, yeah, nothing. nothing. You just adapt to it. Yeah, just exactly. get used to it. Yep. And so it's one of those things where it's like if it weren't for, I guess, my belief system <clears throat> from constantly like pushing forward, pushing forward. And then you're, I mean, you're, you're a big example for that too. It's again, like surrounding myself with people like you, it's take the leap. Mm-hmm. I mean, the worst, I mean, yeah, bad shit can happen, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like, just staying safe. You just got to win more than you lose. That's it. So I tell everybody <laughs> you're going to lose. Just win more than you lose. That's all there is to it. I'll take some else. That's all right. Well, it's like riding a motorcycle. Yeah. I hate when people ask me why I ride, why mm-hmm. I ride a motorcycle. Cause I want to, that's what yeah. you don't. <laughs> Cause I'm living yeah. right right now. I'm living. Yeah. And that's, I've never lived more than when you're on a motorcycle. Yep. Right. And you're, or, you know, cars, like cars that you have and you know, things like that. It's, it's the people that don't get it. I don't think truly understand like what it is. It's not just, a motorcycle it's not just a car mm. it's it's just living i guess and it's touching i don't know like the the peak of human engineering right like your lamborghini for example the performante mm. everything on that car is so well thought out right yeah. so everything's got a purpose on it exactly yeah. and it's when you're driving it it's just like you're doing something that took millions and millions of hours of like other people's thinking yeah and it's one of those and it's just again, it's not the safest thing in the world. No. I doubt doing 160 down the 202. I would never 202 in Mexico. I would never, <laughs> never do that, Mm-mm. right? But if you were happen, yeah. if you ever happen to do that, is things slow down, right? And there was like the Ford versus Ferrari movie when they were talking about Le Mans, and he was uh, saying something about like you know there's there's a point at like 7,000 RPM where everything slows down. And in my opinion, it is true. Mm-hmm. Now that maybe just be a car. Guy. Well, I don't know. It slows but. down because you're more focused, right? I think that's the thing with people is it's it's not that it quote unquote slows down. It's <laughs> it that you, it's just that your attention span, your sensory, right? You're not paying attention to so many things. You're focused in on one thing, right? So instead of thinking about three to four different things at that time, uh, you tend to put all of your time and energy in one, which feels like it slows down because your brain's not as scattered between, you know, multitasking yeah. all the time, right? Like high, high, like high uh, thinking individuals. You like got it. Make an assumption. They can zoom you, in. Right? Yeah. Everything's that way. I have a lot of shit going on in my head. Yeah. Always. And sometimes <laughs> it's to the point where it's very, it's very exhausting. Yeah. And it's, and I feel bad because sometimes like people talk to me and I almost feel like I'm looking through them because mm-hmm. I've got some, something else in the back of your head. Idea. Yeah. And so, yeah, like on a motorcycle, for example, it's like the only thing that matters, don't fall off the fucking thing. Yep. Right. Takes your mind. It forces you to not think about the other things. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like a, a moment of clarity, I guess. But I don't know. Some people, it, it's tough because it's like the, the it's, gurus. It's hard to explain it because you don't experience it, right? Like, see, yeah. the reason 
and that's the thing. Like a lot of people say, well, why would you do that? Or that seems crazy or risk, but it's, I don't think they understand that side of it is like, I do it to take my mind off of everything else and really give myself, because in some ways, as crazy as it sounds, it is more peaceful because you're only thinking about one thing. And for people that have a very hyperactive brains on the same way, um, whether that relate to going out and surfing and stuff like that, you know what I mean? You're, you're basically forcing yourself to think about one thing, which in a lot of ways for people like us, that is relaxing <laughs> instead yeah. of thinking about a hundred things. Yeah. So and it's, I don't know, I, it, people, I mean, not to be morbid, but like, we're all going to die. Oh yeah, for at sure. Some point. Nobody so understands that. going to be that person where you're just like, I did nothing. Yeah. I no. played it safe my entire life. And then oh, when thanks. you look back to business and everything, it's the same thing. Yeah. Like buying that house for Emily and I was probably the biggest and best decision we could have ever made. Yeah. Right. I had, when we bought our first house, I had like, 20 something dollars left in my bank account. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not kidding. You'll figure it out. Burned everything yeah. down, right? Yep. And that parlayed to where we're at now. But a lot of that had to had to deal with risk. And it's one of those things where people, now, if, if you, we didn't have kids. Right. But that's another thing is we have been. That's why know, my motor, that's say, why my motorcycles went away, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say lucky enough to not have kids because I want kids really badly. Yeah. I just mean, as we were getting older, we hadn't had kids. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those things where we were in a better position to take risk. But even if you do have kids, as long as you're doing your math correctly, right? And it pencils out, then it's something that's worth looking into because right. otherwise you're going to stay stagnant. Yeah. And then 20 years down the road, you're in the same house. Your 401k has what, a hundred more grand in it that you're never going to see anyway because it's just that's, a fucking number. Yeah. That's it. There's a book called Die With Nothing. I don't remember who the author is, but I read it. I'll have to think of it. That's a really good book because it changes your perspective. Everybody's been, and I'm building something to give to my kids. You know what I mean? But ultimately my why is just cause I'm trying to get so far away from where I was. Like my parents don't have anything. Like I'm pretty much helping them at this point <laughs> with their life because they will have absolutely nothing because of their choices that they made, which is whatever they did a good job in raising but me. What, is, what does that feel like? Cause there's something, there's something in that too. Yeah. So who is it? Bill yeah. Bill Perkins. That's right. That's a good book. I would recommend that. So, um, th- yeah, like I'm my purpose is to like, here's the thing, everybody, I think it should be legacy, right? And I think that's what people need to really work towards. Everybody's legacy will be different, but my purpose would just be at the end of the day when I die, like, Oh, he made a difference. He made an impact. Right. And I think that that's what people need to understand is how are you making an impact? That's going to look different for everybody. Some people will be financial. Some people will be purpose driven, whatever that looks like. Some people will be total amount of people impacted. Right. But that's the problem. So many people are not working towards making some kind of impact or legacy for themselves because here's the thing you die your kids at the funeral oh they were really good they worked at this company for 80 years and uh did the same thing right or you know what if they wanted to talk about all the really cool shit you did over your entire friggin' life you know what i mean like that's the thing you only get to live it once or you better be experiencing it across all levels if you can you know at least that's the way i look at it you know yeah. especially you get older man it kind of makes you think you're like shit i'm running out of time like you really i feel like after my 20s and i still hopefully have a lot of longevity in me but that hourglass feels like it's been turned over the other way and it's starting to run out. You know, it's just like crap. Yeah. How can I maximize this time I'm given, you know? So, so like my, my parents, for example, they, I love my parents more than anything. And they did everything to make sure that like our lives were good. Yep. Right. And it's nice now <clears throat> that they've gotten older. Uh, my dad pulled a HELOC on his house mm-hmm. and then he bought a couple cars. Good. And it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, that was very good for my family. Seeing yeah. my dad finally have fun. Reap the benefits. Yeah. Exactly. And it's one of those things where you're just like, okay, dude, life seems a lot simpler. And uh, he's always been a very, very, very secure well, human being. Yeah, who the like, fuck wants to work their whole fucking life and like not have any of the opposite side of fun on that, right? Like He, he didn't know any better. Yeah, and no, so I, well, most people like, don't. Yeah. Now that, you know, my mom's got 69 Camaro, my dad, he had a Bel Air, he just sold it to mm-hmm. get 
more shit, but mm-hmm. whatever. But it's one of those things where it's like, okay, now you guys are having fun. You're living a little bit, yeah. right? And it's otherwise it's going to be what you and mom waking up every day doing the same fucking thing, yep. you know, sitting on your, you know, safety net, which it is there. It's not fucking going anywhere. Yeah. But then it's just, they finally made that leap a little bit and to watch him have fun has been really cool, yeah. especially, you know, as, as they get a little bit older and everything, it's just nice because people fucking die. Don't do it. And not yep. doing anything. Yep. You know what I mean? They don't travel. They don't spend money on dumb shit. And I tell Emily this all the time. Like, there's some stuff I have, like, sure, I guess technically by some of these Instagram gurus, shouldn't have bought this motorcycle or that, whatever. Just, fuck you, dude. Everybody's just different, too, though. I think everybody's, like, there's just going to be things that you're going to do that m- some people just don't care about, right? There's things I do some people don't care about. There's some things that yeah. they do that I don't care about. So it's hard to place a value because at the end of the day, I think if you do something that uh, can rejuvenate you in some way or give you some kind of purpose uh, or fun, because there's the other side of that, right? Which we can roll right into this topic too on the work-life balance side of things. I think that was one of the things you want to talk about. Um, you can work so damn much and I've been there before because especially like I find a lot of purpose in work like I enjoy it I like working like every, you know I don't take vacations that much because I don't fucking like them everybody tells me I should I just don't I'm not a fan of them yeah uh, they're more stressful for me because I find purpose in my work and I enjoy working like for me I'm not gonna say I'd work for free but I probably work for free because I like working it gives you purpose gives you like what's the fucking alternative I'm gonna sit at home and do nothing like sleep in all day and waste my time away I'm not interested in that so um, I think that some people will spend their entire life doing that. They'll spend their entire life working, grinding, but there's no fun in between that, right? And so you have to make sure that you're having a little bit of fun on there. And I think that there's an opposite side. I've worked so much where it's literally burned me out. Like, why am I working so much so hard for zero reward? Yeah. Um, and if somebody were to say, oh, keep on doing it for 20 friggin' years, and at the end of those 20 years, you're going to have all this money. Like, yeah, but what if I'm dead? Or what if I'm too friggin' old to even enjoy it? What if I don't even want to enjoy those things? But what if I can give myself little wins and little uh, things that caught bring me joy right so i'm gonna buy a car that i want in between as a reward um, i'm gonna buy a house that i want as a reward because ultimately if you're working your whole life it should be working to live a life you want to live what the hell is the point of suffering for 40 years to only get to enjoy 10 years of it in retirement or something right before you die like it just that concept just never made sense to me for people to do that because i guarantee you go back and you look at a quality of life and you look at that guy that's like and I know I got people in my own family driving the same fucking car for 15 years. Well, put my money in my 401k. And then I just had a talk with that family member and they just lost 130,000 in the last, you know, the economy tank. I'm like, yeah, you could have fucking bought a car or something like that. That actually probably would have gone up in value and enjoyed it. And drove it just the thought of like working for 10 friggin' years and not giving yourself any reward in between of that, right? A different house or upgrading your life to it. Again, some people don't care about that traveling more, whatever that is just seems crazy to me <laughs> like what's the damn point like, yeah exactly like what's the point of waking up every day it's for more and more, and more yeah. security it's like that's cool right. and all but it's kind of like with, with with my business like i haven't been doing this <clears throat> a long time um and i kind of came like a bat out of hell when i first got into it my first year was right during the refi boom yeah and i didn't see emily yeah at all yeah. i was there until i was there when it was dark and then i was leaving when it was dark and mm-hmm. i just didn't see her and then i got home and i was working when i got home and it made sense my first year. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the fuck out of her for letting me do that because now we are where we are. Yeah. But I can't do that again. No. That's one of those things where it's like I, I've tried to slow down quite a bit while kind of thinking, uh, I guess, smarter about everything, which kind of, I guess, leads me into believe like, you're, what's your definition of work? Because, like, for me, 
I've always been a big procrastinator. I was always very good at school, but it was me doing everything like the last fucking second. And I was trying to figure out how can I accomplish the most with doing the least. Mm. Me personally, I don't look at 80 hours in an office as like working harder than the guy that's there for 10 hours. Right. The guy that's there for 10 hours, you know, educated himself on everything so he can get all that work done in 10 hours. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think there's like a such thing as like work-life balance. I think there's like seasons. So for me, like I necessarily would work as hard as I needed to when I need to. And if I feel myself starting to burn out, I might take a, you know, as much time as I need to slow myself down, but it's just different. You know what I mean? Like some people are just wired to work more. And secondly, here's the thing. If you're doing something you friggin' hate, you're not going to be that good. That's step number one. Go find something you enjoy doing, right? And if you're going to live the same job 20 years over and over, of course, you're going to be a minimum because you're not going to be motivated. Like for me, um, I, I have almost a, um, I would say an obsessive personality on things that I know I want. Like once it gets stuck in my brain and I want it, I'll get it. That's what it is. Like whether that be with cars, whether that, and which is good and bad, right? I've had to learn to harness that in some ways because I bought dumb shit that I didn't need to buy because <laughs> I obsessed over it, but it's that way with work too, right? Like once I put my mind to something and I say, Hey, I'm going to hit this goal or hit this financial goal or whatever. I won't, I will stop at nothing to get that. Right. And then I get to where I want to get. And then I'm like, Holy shit, that was hard. Uh, I need to let myself, cause I could just feel that everybody's threshold is completely different. Like my threshold, uh, for, I don't know. I, I don't want to call it pain. It's not pain, but my threshold for burnout, I guess, is much higher than probably a lot of people's. You know what I mean? I can, again, I enjoy what I do. Like I, yeah. I wake up every day excited. So for me, it's very easy to run full speed. I could be doing this 10, 15, 20 hours a day, sun up to sun down. I kind of am in a way and I enjoy it. So it's hard to beat somebody like me that really loves what they do, right? You get somebody in real estate that's like just doing it because they're here for like a paycheck every month it's hard to beat somebody like me who would probably do it for free if I could, you know what I mean? I got bills to pay and have a lifestyle, but yeah, but in reality, I just enjoy the deal. I enjoy the negotiation. I enjoy the marketing. I enjoy the growth. So I have a lot of fun in all of it. And sometimes that will burn me out. It gets stressful. You know, you're juggling a lot of deals Uh, with that. You carry a lot of people's emotion on you, which that's the side of stuff that gets heavy is like their personal situations that you're trying to help out with and it goes south or whatever, you know, they're a very emotionally taxing client that, you know, (laughs) dumps a lot of personal shit on you that you shouldn't have to, you know, stuff like that. So, um, I think everybody's threshold is just a little bit different, but I don't believe in the whole like work life balance. I think it's seasonal. You know what I mean? You're going to be in seasons in your life where you're like, I'm trying to build something. You will have to friggin' work. If you go into something and you say, I'm starting, I see this in real estate all the time. This is why real estate has an 89% failure rate. People come into the mindset of work life balance, right? I see brand new people, highly motivated, putting two hours or three hours a day into their business. That's you're, you're not obsessed. You have to be obsessed with growing your business. You have to be obsessed with what you're doing and you have to commit to yourself for two to three years of like going pedal to the metal full speed. You haven't even earned yourself a vacation or a break yet. In my opinion, when you're just starting out yet, I see people all the time, like taking vacation, taking break, working weekends. Like that's not, it's not, I don't know. It's just not there. You know what I mean? Or, Oh, I worked really hard for six months. It's time for some balance. Like what the fuck is that? Like you just, you, there's just, yeah, you just won't be able to do it. So in my opinion, I think that people need to understand it's seasonal. I think they need to understand that it's okay to work your friggin' ass off, especially in the beginning or something be obsessed about it. You know what I mean? And then, you know, once you've earned something, once you've hit a goal, feel free to readjust and say, Hey, it's time to slow down. I'm in a season in life where I need to slow down right now. You know, whatever happens, or maybe you just, you get to where you want to get and you're like, okay, I'm going to throttle back. For me, that was 2022. You know, I went hard in friggin' 21 hard or 2020. Um, did shit. It was like 80 something transactions on my own. Right. And which was a lot at that time, just for me, I was always in my car. I was showing homes minus 
factor in all the bullshit going on in the world with the pandemic and freaking face masks and the news and the media and the shaming of me for even being out and working. And it just, it was just a heavy freaking year roll into 21 said, Hey, I think I'm going to start a real estate brokerage. And then, so that was fucking hard because <laughs> now I had to like take on 30 more personalities aside from the 10 that I had as a team. And that was, that was like double time work. You know what I mean? So it was a straight two years. And then 2022, I was like, all right, time to let off a little bit, you know, and just really recalculate, recalibrate, stabilize. Um, and then back into this year, I went hard again, had another good year, pushed it hard, you know, did good year in sales and I feel rejuvenated. And at the end of this year, I feel like going even harder next year. Right. So like, oh. And then depending how next year goes, I may say, Hey, you know what? I'm feeling my threshold here. There's things that are suffering, you know, uh, but there's just seasons. That's what I tell people. It's you, what season are you in? If you're, if, by the way, if every season's a fucking vacation season, good luck, you know, yeah. just know balance is maybe two to three years of like all in as hard as you can go. And then maybe one year off or whatever, you know, slow, whatever that looks like. But yeah, I think it's a hard concept to explain to people, especially like salary employees. I mean, that's, they're, really, they're that's just too programmed different. yeah, for that nine to five mentality. There's, and there's, there's a place in this world for salary employees are very, very important. Yep. It's just, you have everybody needs a fry cook. They're out there too. Well, that's the thing is you, you just need to have a different mindset. And I don't think the real estate thing, cause lending in real estate to me is a, a little bit different. Cause real estate, you come in and you're looking at, you know, all the Instagram people and this and that they're just doing whatever the fuck they want. At least that's what it seems like. Mm -hmm. And then on the lending side, a lot of us are just kind of in the background. You know, there's not a whole lot of lenders that are like big time on social media and this right. and that. Um, and so it's a little bit different vibe there, I guess. But the whole concept of work-life balance, like you said, it's very different per person. So mm -hmm. like for me, that first year, I just didn't exist. Yeah. And I felt awful about it. But yeah. then at the same time, like going into that next year. Like, Served you. Yeah. yeah that next year market went way down things slowed down a lot and so for me i spent a lot of time doing stuff with emily um traveled a little bit you know just we're, we're always doing stuff together and in that time i was able to build out a lot of systems for the team that mm -hmm. now is starting to pay off quite a bit so it was like hiring on an assistant hiring on another guy paying for this crm and this and this and this and whatever building all that out kind of in that downtime whereas like most people or not most people but some people might look at that as like oh i'm not and hard enough you know i'm not getting enough deals right now but for me i kind of looked at it as an opportunity to to build while things were slower because things are going to pick up next year yep and i know that we're 100 percent prepared for that already all of our trackers are set up everything's all set up and we're ready for things to blow up again to where i don't have to work fucking 80 hour weeks yep. right because everything's automated and so in terms of like a file comes in boom 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 everyone has their job and so that kind of clears up everyone's schedule and a lot of that's just from just implementing all that as mm -hmm. opposed to just being the guys where it's like, we have to fucking grind yeah. and grind and grind. Cause there's a lot of guys like that. And like you said, it's, it's, it is a, uh, a state of mind. Yeah. Right. And then looking at guys like, like you and then some other successful buddies that I have, it's kind of given me the notion that I am not behind in life. No, because no. it's, it's one of those things where it's, it feels like you're always behind for, in my opinion, like highly successful people. Yeah. You'll never lose that feeling. It doesn't go away. There's yeah. always more that can be done. There's always, yeah. The, the, you'll just have to learn to leverage and harness that. Cause I can just tell you, I don't, I don't think there's ever been a point where like, Oh yeah, I made it. I'm here. It's it, like, I always joke about that. I had a Facebook post. I think I made when I was 20, I think I was like 25, but on Facebook, like I could just, if I could just make a hundred grand, I'd be set. Remember I put that and it popped up in my memories like a couple of years ago and just laughed. Cause I'm like, shit, if I finally made a hundred, I'd probably consider myself a loser at this point in my life. You know what I mean? And so, uh, my goals and aspirations are much higher than that. And then, you know, 
Um, there's some like there's always that. I see this little meme going around. It's kind of bullshit. But it's like, oh, I'll be thankful for the day or what you have today. Cause you prayed for it one day, which whatever. Like, but I get it because I'm like, yeah, that is true. Like the life I'm living today, I'd be very happy ten years ago if I knew I was going to have this. You know what I mean? But now it's much bigger. <laughs> well, you're so, happy now. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. like you're negating. No, no, what no. You have now, and that I think that's but the hard part. You you won't as an if you're a true entrepreneur, and I mean true, right? If you're a true true entrepreneur, your work will never be really done. You'll never be like, okay, I'm I'm good. I built what I want to build i'm done like it did like you're always going to have a desire and drive for more right and so the thing is you just have to harness that and understand that and i think that's where a lot of people get frustrated and the internet loves to make people feel bad about that like oh what do you need more and more for motherfucker it ain't for the money it's because it's what i thrive on doing right it's purpose driven and so most people just have a hard time with that and i, I freaking hate people to get online and try to shame people for that shit you should want more. The whole point of your life is to constantly progress and grow. And if you settle for, okay, I just did this and I'm settling, like you're doing everybody around you a fucking disservice. Like if you naturally as an individual push yourself to be as big as you can possibly be and challenge yourself, everybody around you will be better for it. Your kids will be better. Your spouse will be better. The people that look up to you be better. Your friends will be better. You will naturally pull people up. You are doing a disservice to everybody by just settling. That's it's, it's a fucking fact. And nobody's going to convince me of anything better. Oh, dad could have been crushing it in life and doing all this, but he just decided to settle out. Cool. But for me, I look at I'm raising the bar for my kids, right? Like that's the biggest thing. Like my dad brought the bar to here for me. Like he worked his ass off. He just financially had me on a, on a, I hate to say that word, but really at a disadvantage, right? And what I mean by disadvantage is I didn't get shit. No, no fucking trust fund. No, nobody's leaving me any freaking houses. Nobody left me any cars. Nobody left. He did leave me with a really good work ethic, which I'm thankful for, right? But ultimately, I started at square one. He didn't even teach me sound financial advice. I had to learn that. So my whole thing is, is how far down the road can I push myself? And then now I just raised everybody around me, right? I, anybody that was a friend of mine, it's like, hey, can you teach me how to do this? I brought them up with me, right? In some ways, hopefully I improved their life. My kids, they're like, okay, dad did this. Hopefully they go further down the road than me. So by me just saying, okay, I'm going to stay here in this same spot and the same job for 20 frigging years and ride it out and not make any investments. I'm, I just, I take it personal, man. Like I'm holding everybody back. Like what if I could do more and show them that it's more as possible and I can, and then hopefully they can take what I gave them and go even further with it. Right. So you're kind of like running with this torch in a way is the way I look at it. And I don't think a lot of people look at things that way. Like if you can do more, you should do more as a person. Your job is to grow. Your job is to create. Your job is to build. Now that's going to look what you build and create is going to look different for everybody, but you should be building and creating to show everybody around you what they can build and create. Right. And hopefully they get inspired by you and they go further than that. So, yeah. and then I guess the, the work life balancing there is finding that point between driving yourself nuts yeah. and then doing enough. You're always I on guess. that line. It's yeah. always a fine line. <laughs> Cause yeah. Cause I mean, some people, I mean, a lot of people, they don't even get close. Right? No. Like we said about the whole gym thing. It's like people live at 60%, but yeah. then the guys that do get that far along and they, they push it that hard. It's, I guess it's not work-life balance. Like you no. said, it's not like okay, I work this hard. I'm fine. No. Not, not, not when you love working. <laughs> not when yeah. you enjoy it. If you yeah. if you don't, here's the thing: if you don't enjoy what you do, and you're like. I just don't work hard because I don't enjoy it. Go fucking find something you enjoy. There are so many choices out there. Rip the fucking bandaid off and go find something you love. I've had plenty of jobs that paid good, but I couldn't see myself being there for 20 fucking years, right? Yeah. And, and endure just getting by, right? Until basically try something new, try something new until you find something you love and you enjoy and you can see yourself being obsessed with for 20, 30 years and then watch how good your life gets, right? And then watch how much more dedication and energy you put into that shit. Yeah. So. There, there is something to be said about 
providing something to other people as well. Mm-hmm. So like on the lending side, it was like just spinning rate and term when rates were coming yeah. out. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. it's a cool job and make good money. It is yeah. what it is. But once I started to, I guess, educate myself more, right. And like, how can I help people with this? Like doing cash out debt consolidation and shit like that. Right. Moving into this market, people are sitting on over 50% equity, you know, pull a second mortgage. I'll teach you everything. We'll get you another house. And it's when you start to look at things like that and I get emails and texts from, from clients from a year ago, whatever, and their lives are infinitely better simply because I just provided them knowledge. I'm, not, choices. Saying, I'm yeah. not saying do this. I'm saying here's an option that you have. Yeah. And there is risk associated with things like that, right? Like taking on, you know, you have a twelve hundred dollar mortgage payment, now it's three grand. Okay, but you paid off, you know, sixty grand worth of bullshit debt. Sure. It's a risk. Yeah. Right. But it's one of those things. And so now it's that's where things get kind of fun for me. Is like if I'm in a position where if people aren't gonna educate themselves, then I'll fucking do it. Right. Right. Because someone helped me. And yep. that that's one thing that I'll never forget. It was some random dude. He's a really good friend of mine now. There was a random fucking dude on a random day. <clears throat> I just asked him what he did for a living and then fucking called and quit my job. Like Wolf of Wall Street. Yep. And he helped me tremendously, but then same with my wife, right? Because she had a job at the time. She had supported me for years while I was playing baseball and I wasn't working and then finally got out of college. Baseball didn't work out because of an injury. So full-blown depression for like four months, didn't talk to her or whatever. Mm-hmm finally get a job and of course my dumb ass i come home one day hey i quit my job (laughs) and um but it's it's like without her right and without scott who helped me out and all this it's like that you i wouldn't have been able to do anything so now it's i'm in a position where it's like okay i can help people and there's something so much cooler about helping with debt consolidation like help a family as opposed to just picking up like a purchase right Right. they've got big money they make quarter million dollars a year buy them a house cool they don't give a shit the ones that are really cool are the first time home buyers or the people that they bought a house a long time ago, you know, they're struggling because credit cards are through the roof and things like that. And you make a genuine impact doing what you do. So it's like my job becomes more tangible yeah. at that point. When you and know, it makes a difference. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like I, I don't, I love what I do. Yep. Right. But like I said, rate and term refi, it's cool enough. Yep. I guess it's fucking easy. It takes yep. like 10 minutes. And there's nothing behind it, but it's, it's just not you, as impactful. Yeah. yeah. But then when you start to see like, my effort in terms of educating myself and understanding all this and being able to pawn that off on other people and like watching where their lives go, it's very, very cool. And then I think of doing this for like 20, 30 years, like how many lives can you impact? And it's like, I'm a mortgage broker, dude. I'm not right. fucking Gandhi. I'm not doing anything crazy here. Right. But the one thing I can provide is some sort of like financial solace. So if that's going to be my, my thing, then so be it. Right. Cause that's, that's more fun than anything to me. And like you with selling houses and everything, right? Like, yep it's you do change people's lives some you don't some don't give a shit they got big money they do whatever but it's the ones where it's like they genuinely are grateful they never thought they could own a home and now they do it's like okay i do good work yeah right and it's that's a a reason to wake up in the morning i guess absolutely and i just started coming in not that i didn't care about people it wasn't that yep but it was very much i only cared about me for a long time and i'm not afraid to say that because like i said you have to take care of yourself first no but that's where you see the best your business blows up when you kind of find that side of it of helping people because it's a little more addicting than like oh i'm helping myself it's like no how many people can i because that feeling i think is way better than like paychecks for me personally and i get it i was happy with paychecks and still am in some ways but like i agree with you the trade-off sometimes it's like it's not even the multi-million dollar properties i sell it's like the first time home buyer that gets into something that's just like they're like the most grateful because they're like holy shit i didn't think this is even possible and you make it happen for them and that to me is like pretty damn cool sometimes so yeah so there's something to be said about i guess 
I don't know, yeah. work-life balance, yep. I suppose. But it's just a matter of why you're doing what you're doing, I suppose. Sure. Because some people, like you said, they'll have they'll hit a goal for this quarter and then they'll take a trip. Yep. That's fine. Yep. As long as you know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah. Well, if the you're, people, if you're, if you're happy me, with your performance and results, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. the, people, the people that piss me off are the ones that just don't know. Yeah. And they're just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And it's not like you need to know what you're doing in 10 years. Like, right. You need to know what the fuck you're doing tomorrow. Right. People don't know what they're doing tomorrow. Morning. Yeah. You know, like you said, with your whole routine, some people just don't know. Like I time block my entire day. Yeah. Same. So it's like, Something as simple as that, where you get a piece of paper and you write down from eight to ten, this is what I'm doing, and then do it. Yep. It's not that complicated. No, give yourself structure. Yeah, so. but people make it seem like it's some fucking unruly thing. But I guess the last one, lender agent relationships. Mm-hmm. I so now that I do both sides, mm-hmm. I can see the frustration. Whereas before, when I was just a lender and agents would get frustrated about some things, it would bother me because I just didn't understand their side. And now I understand both sides and I'm starting to realize that lender agent relationships are more important than really anything else. And I think there's a lot of, <clears throat> I, I guess this misnomer that we're doing different jobs yep. and we're not right. We're trying to buy the same family, the same house yeah. and we're, we're on the same team, but sometimes it feels like they're, we're just, we're just button heads or whatever. And so I guess like, what's your opinion on lender and agent relationships? I think for me now, uh, especially being partners on the lending, partners on title, partner, like for me, it's a seamless transaction for the client. So nothing, nothing sucks more than somebody saying, Hey, you did really good, but like this person sucked in the transaction or this person sucked in the transaction, right? Like, and then that's even a tough one because if the client's used to getting a certain version of you, so for example, like with you, you're super well-versed in like finances and you're like, you know, uh, you could have a very intellectual conversation with that client. Like they're there for you because they know you're super good. It's no different. They, they, maybe somebody picks me, they're like, Hey, you're a super good marketer. You're great at communicating. Uh, you give us tons of great options. Like it's a very intellectual type conversation. Okay, great. Come over here and meet my lender. And then the lender is not that good. Right. And this goes for any agents. Right. And so, um, and this goes the other way, this could be like the lender's absolutely phenomenal and good at what they do. But then the agent that they partner with over here is like, just not on the same level. You know what I mean? The client's not going to get a seamless experience, which for me, uh, that really bothers me. Same thing with title, right? It's a, you get an escrow officer who they're like, Oh man, your personality is amazing. Oh man, the lender's personality. Oh man, the escrow officer was dumber than a box of rocks, whatever. Right? Like I, for me, it, I don't like hearing that. I like my clients to be like, damn, that was a good Friggin' that was a great transaction. You know what I mean? Like Blake was friggin' good. His lender was amazing. The title with the whole thing, like they should package that thing up and be like across the board. That was phenomenal. This can work a few different ways, right? This just comes down to a personality thing because ultimately if your client's working with you, they probably like your personality type, right? And this goes back to, I think your team should be assembled very similar to how your personality type is, right? Um, because again, if you have an agent that's got a really soft approach, which there's nothing wrong with that, a client obviously likes that. That's why they pick that agent. And then their lender is like super abrasive or short. It's not going to be a unilateral experience for that client. And so this probably wasn't as important to me until I started doing some volume. And then it starts to show its head a little more, right? Because like when you're an agent, you're only doing like a deal a month or a deal every other month, like and one little thing comes up, you're like, eh. but then you're doing three, four, five a month, or like at my level where we own the brokerage and you're exposed to 20, 30, 40 transactions a month, you start to hear things more and you start to identify patterns more because more data is coming across the board. So I think that 
from that perspective, I think it's important that when you're choosing a partner, and this goes other ways, right? Like if you're a title rep and you're working with agents, you should be selective about this stuff, right? The number one qualm I have with title agents is that they don't ever fucking come out of the office and meet people. Like they're like the behind the desk, like, and I do, I do not understand that because some of the best title escrow officers I've had have been like super outgoing. Like I literally will try to pick them. If like, Hey, you have an outgoing personality or, um, they're friendly or they're knowledgeable or they stay on top of shit. Right. So like, it's no different than like the lender. Like if they're a very upbeat, super knowledgeable lender and you go pick an area partner with an agent who's just, let's be real. They're not that outgoing. Um, they're not that good at marketing and you are, it's going to show like the clients, in my opinion, the clients should feel like from lender, agent, title, it's a very, like they're dealing with almost the same type of personality, same person. So it just goes as smooth as possible across the board. You throw three or four different conflicting personalities in there. I think it's just a recipe for disaster. Or, you know, at the end of the day, the client leaves that transaction like, yeah, Blake was good, but the lender really sucked. And then that's going to have a negative impact on my business. Same thing with the lender, right? If they're working with you and they're doing some refis, hey, I want to buy. And then the lender kicks them over to an agent and the agent's like personality is really bad or they suck, right? that client may not come back to you because of their experience with the agents. They're going to think if they do, you're just going to hit them up with another, you you guys get my point, right? So everybody has to be on the same page and aligned. I think from like a personality perspective, a work ethic perspective, um, this business is kind of weird like that where everybody feels like they just deserve each other's business. You know what I mean? Like I get lenders that like hit me up and some of them are good. Don't get me wrong. I can see them. I'm like, I can mess with you. You're good, dude. You're super solid. I love the way you run your business, but I get other ones that I'm just like, there's no way we would even like, no offense personally, just my personality type and yours. We wouldn't be hanging out outside of work and just, we wouldn't, we're not thinking the same around the same wavelength. The work ethics, not the same, nothing aligned. So why would I partner with you on a business perspective, you know? And I see that a lot, which is always super interesting. So, yeah. And on our side of things, it's tough because when I first got into it, it was every agent that hit me up ever. I was all on top of them. I'd answer their phone call. Oh, yeah. You kind of need to. You're new. You don't know what you're doing, so you might as well take anything. Yeah, Exactly. And then as it kind of progressed through the industry, you start to realize kind of that same thing where it's like, okay, what what are you providing to me, right? So if I'm working a deal with you, right, and I, I form a relationship with your clients and they really like me, there's been quite a few transactions where I believe I've had a better relationship with the clients and the agent has sure but it becomes tough because they'll associate like you said they'll associate the transaction with whoever they didn't like the most you got it it's one of those things where it's like i I feel like i've lost business down the road because they had a poor experience with the agent yeah it was and so yeah the job got done but it wasn't done to their expectations exactly something and that's where you lose your repeat business exactly and so now i've kind of realized I've put myself in a position where I have a lot to offer for agents, right? And it's, I didn't used to think that. And back to the whole confidence thing, right? It's first starting out in this, like I knew what I was talking about, but I didn't have that, that confidence. Sure. And so it's now I, I feel like, okay, I have something to offer you, right? And it's, I, I get a lot of agents that hit me up all the time and they say, hey, I wanna go to lunch, I wanna do this, I wanna go to <laughs> Lenders are only good for lunch and coffee and shit. And for that's what I was good for for the longest time. Yep. And um, now it's to the point where it's like, okay, what do you want to talk about? Right. What are you going to provide to me? And yep. then there's a lot of agents that go, what do you mean I'm going to provide you? Yeah. They're not used to that. Well, they're, yeah. just, they're just used to lenders blowing them up, trying to take them out to coffee and stuff. So exactly. And so yeah. it's now I've put myself in a position where I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the greatest lender in the world. Sure. Right? Yeah. A lot of us are very, very good at what we do and we offer the same things. And mm-hmm. it, a lot of it comes down to personality, just like it does for agents. So especially at my brokerage, we're a very high level brokerage. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of us that are very good at our jobs. So Mm -hmm. it's like, how do you discern between one guy or the other? And it's who you click with the most. 
And so a lot of agents that, that their thing to me, I've got agents that say, I want to build my business. I say, okay, I'll help you. Right. I don't know how, but I'll, I'll help you. Sure. Or there's the ones that they say, I, I want a dinner. Right. Or I want marketing money. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. I used to do that and none of it came back. And I right. was essentially just a bank for the longest time. And that's that, that dichotomy between agents and lenders. It's like almost how that relationship is. Yep. It's like an unwritten rule. But I'm kind of trying to, to turn that a little bit, not in some sort of like negative way, but it's for my business personally. I've no longer started to, I've kind of slowed down from like the whole ass kissing thing. Right. Cause like you said, once my business started taking off a little bit, then it was okay. What's going to work with to focus me? more on quality. Yeah, exactly. And if there's agents that they're not riding with where we're at, right? Like I am very aggressive in terms of sales and I'm very aggressive in terms of like my, my financial literacy and how, how I structure these deals. So for example, I have agents right now where we're trying to structure deals with them where we're using some sort of seller concession, or maybe they're putting big down payments and we're setting up, you know, high yield savings account. Maybe they're putting into a trust. So there's a whole lot of different things we can come up with. And I roll it all out to the client. Right, and then the agents will have some sort of problem with that, and they're like, well, "We just need to buy this house." Yeah, so, okay, they're just not. Yeah, they're just not thinking long term, yeah. or or they're not financially literate to yeah. that level where it's they like, should I'm, be. I'm trying to set business up for you for the next decade, correct? Because right? if we put them in a position where this is a very good investment for them, everything went smoothly. They've got friends, they've got family, right? <laughs> and it's I'm trying to grow this together. But again, it's we're not getting the deal done right this second, so yeah. that's a problem, yep. right? So. One of our agents downstairs actually earlier today was asking about the prequal process because on the prequal process, some guys will just send it out. Yeah. I remember when I first met you, we were talking about that. Yep. And for us, I've kind of withheld that for a long time because what I'm not going to have is I'm not going to have clients that can't qualify once we're under nope. contract. And so I've lost deals before where agents are just like, well, this guy can get him a prequal out today. Yeah. No, that's the number one thing. I don't let anybody do that here. That's why I tell all my agents here is you, you like that's how I was. I don't even go out and show people a home until he's spoken to a lender. Just the way it goes, you know, the, it's a disservice to the client really. Cause you're kind of getting their hopes up. You go out and show them and you make them believe that they can afford a house or see a house without actually knowing if they could afford that house. You go out, you waste their time uh, because they want to go see it without actually properly explaining to them. This is the importance of talking to a lender. That's always step one. Let's see what we can qualify you for. Let's see what makes sense for you. You may be able to qualify for two friggin' million, but it doesn't mean you're going to be comfortable with that mortgage payment. And you might come back and say, let's shop in this range, right? Let's figure out what those parameters are and then let me do my job after the fact to go find you what makes sense based on what the lender says they can get you qualified for too many agents don't pay attention to that stuff and i i don't think uh, a lot of agents understand our side of things because they look at it as when someone fills out an application it's just them putting in their info you got it and it comes over to me you got it so for me someone could put they make 100 grand a month it's not verified yet until i yeah until i can verify that yep I'm not going to run with that. And if you like, and people are always honest. They never lie about that. Yeah. No one ever lies. But, <laughs> but it's also one of those things where sometimes people don't know. Cause you could be a commission based job and be doing it for eight months. And you're like, I made 300 grand. Sure. Oh, I can't qualify it for shit. Right. I'll take your base pay of 60. Mm-hmm. Right. Or maybe someone, you know, a single mother's receiving alimony and she doesn't even know that I can qualify it as income vice versa. You know, let's say a father's paying alimony that he doesn't know it's a debt. Right. And so it's one of those things where I need to verify all that ahead of time because the last thing I'm going to do is you fill out whatever you want. I say, okay, cool. Yep. Buy a house. Well, you've paid $600 for an appraisal, $600 for an inspection. Right. And then you've got, you know, you paid more for a roofer to get out there, all this shit Well, you're $1,500 in the hole. And then also, oops, we can't qualify. Your income's not there. Right. It's my fault. Right. So it's, it's interesting the, I guess the relationship between both, especially now that I do both sides. Cause I, I do see where a lot of the frustration comes from 
in terms of timing and everything. But the biggest thing for me is just communication. Yeah, break it down. I don't know why some people have such a complicated time answering their phone. Like you're on your phone all fucking day. You know what I mean? Pull up your fucking screen time thing. You're on your phone all day. Why you want to be a good agent, answer your phone. That's step one. That's the easiest thing. We did that experiment that one time here in the brokerage where I went and called all of our agents that morning and I think only like half of them answered their phone. Yeah, I ducked that call. Yeah. I ducked that call because I was on a call. Yeah. So <laughs> I can't on that one. I think we probably but, should do that again soon. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. But I, yeah, something as simple as like communication. It's... I think lenders and agents just need to understand like we are in the same team. Yep. I, I don't know why that somehow got misconstrued. Yep. But like if we're on a deal together. Well, they both need each other. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm saying you need financing and you need an agent. Yeah. So it's like we're trying to close the same deal. And so it's shitty when there's, where there's this like disconnect. And then I don't know. It's, uh, I guess that's me just being a little unrealistic, wishing people were like nicer to each other. Cause I was a fucking asshole. Well, they're just not looking at it as a business partnership, right? That's the thing. They think it's my business and it's your business. No, it's our business, right? Like this person helps my business grow. This person helps your business grow. And if you guys don't understand that as partners, right? Imagine you guys have one business one company and you guys are both 50, 50 partners in it. Technically 33.3% titles included in that too. <laughs> you guys are three business owners and you guys are not aligned. Your business is not going to grow. But if you three can all get on the same page and you could do a streamlined process and you can help each other with your weaknesses and your strengths, uh, you will be better off for it. Your client will be better off for it. Referrals will be better off for it. All that stuff will be better off for it. Yeah. So, yep. And I think the final, what were we talking about? Cars? We have one little thing we need to ask, like a question on cars or something like that. Oh, yeah, cars and bikes. Mm. Mm. All right. Mm. Car are you buying next? I got my own a couple. What you got? I think I'm gonna go classic, honestly. Kind of just like I got an exotic. I've had a couple of them and stuff like that. Um, I'm just in a phase where I'm more intrigued by classics right now. So yeah, that Conti. I know you're looking at that yep. Chevelle going right now. Yeah, big power Chevelle. I think that you will take to a drag strip. Nope. Yep. I think. Um, I, so my two next like bucket list, like add, so I'm in this phase where I don't think I want to sell anything like car wise. I think I want to keep it. Like I talked about selling my performante cause I'm like, all right, I have my fun with it and stuff and I can make money. And then I was like, but why? I don't like, I don't have to, I don't need to. Why not just keep it? Like I like cars. Why not just keep it? Like I have, I have to get rid of this mentality that I have to sell everything. Well, everything has to be a good investment. It's like God, God, forbid, yeah. God forbid you buy something that you want. Yeah. Yes. And no, like, I think I, I keep the investment side of it on like things I daily, like I have a little bit of more calculated on that and stuff like that, not to lose my ass. But like when it comes to like cars, like especially now I'm kind of like, if I had to like say, Hey, what's the one thing you want? It'd be like a car collection, like outside of like quote unquote smart investments, which even then I do pretty good. Most of the stuff I buy, I can make money on cause I buy it at good prices, but I'm kind of in a phase where I think for the next like 20 years, I want to have a collection. Like I want to buy it. Like I want to have a collect. You open my garage like damn, that's a sick collection. So that's kind of the direction I'm moving in right now is not really selling any of it. Just adding to it. Yeah. Michaela's not a hundred percent on board with that. That's okay. I know sure should be all right. it could be worse. I tell her it could be like a drug habit or something like that. It's just cars. Right. And then if I'm done, I can sell them. But um, I've got my eye. I really want a Lincoln Continental, like a 62 to 64 four door convertible black on black. I've got my on a few of those. Those are kind of hard to find in good shape. That's the hard part. Most people like half ass restore them. Uh, what I've learned is I'm not a fan of doing full on restorations. I don't love it. I'm doing one right now. Doing them yourself. I am doing them myself and there's something to be said about it, but like it, at the level that I'm doing at, it gets like really expensive and it's really dumb. Like, like my Chevelle, like I'll be probably 
pretty close to over 200 grand into that car. Yeah, how much was the frame? 23,000. Just for the frame. Just the frame. What about motor and training? Motor was about 40, oh, almost 50K. Yeah. With shipping. So you're 75 grand into yeah, a the, frame? Yeah, the transmission. Uh, we did a T56 Magnum with carbon pack in it just because it has a whole, like the motor's 1,220 horses, what it just put down on the dyno. Trans was like 12K. Wheels, custom made, three piece, because I wanted them to look like original 71 Chevelle wheels, um, which is real petty. Like you could just buy a normal set of wheels, but like I'm like, no, I want this. Like I have a vision. I'm like, it has to be this way. And I want it to look like an original 71 Chevelle, just a little more modified, like new. So I'm having a set of like the 14 inch rallies that would have come on a 71 Chevelle blown up to like a 19 and a 20 three piece with even the matching chrome rings, like the chrome hubcap rings that would pop in. I'm having those custom made. That's $23,000 just for four wheels. So, um, yeah, so I mean, at that, I mean, at that point it comes down to it's what you want. Yeah. That's what I want. But yeah. like, but on the end of the day, like the other side of the spectrum, like that car, it is what it is. And I've restored at a 76 K 10, I fully restored, but there's also a point where you could just pretty much buy them. So like I've got, so that's what I want to buy. I want to buy a continental, but I don't want to do the work. I don't have the time to restore it anymore. These days I'd much rather just buy it and enjoy it. Um, there's probably some things I'll still, I just don't think for me, I'm not that guy that's got like full weekends to go sit in a garage and wrench. I, I could work on, I just, I'm not there anymore. Like usually if I have a weekend off, it's going and spending time with the family, right? Not like, Hey, I'm going to go spend all weekend pulling this motor. Like it's just not, it used to be me. It's just not at this phase, the season. I mean, we'll call it that. So anyways, I'm probably going to, I'm looking for a really clean one. And then I've also, uh, this is the obsessive side of me wants a 70 Chevelle LS six all original. They're really hard to find. I was say good luck. Black. I found a couple, but there it has to be. Because that's the thing. They only made like I think thirty three hundred of those in nineteen seventy. The original LS six, and then you narrow that down further. Because I want when you oh, go you that like, route, you want like numbers matching. Numbers matching, all original build sheets, everything fully documented. It's a trophy, is what it is. Like you can't mess with it. You can't change it. You can't nothing. Like you're buying that because it is original, like a museum piece, basically. Um. And that's like the epitome of the muscle car. Like that's, you can't get any, in my opinion, you can't get any higher than that. That's like, that's what that is. Like the, there's nothing that will beat a 70 Chevelle, big block, 454, four speed on the floor, bucket seats, black on black, tuxedo, LS6. That's it. But there's not many of them around anymore. That's the hard part. And then you could find an LS6, but then they're like other colors, like silver or like the greens and shit. And I don't, it has to be black on black, four speed, big block. So like narrow that down. There's maybe, I don't know. I feel like 400 of the damn things in the country. Maybe say like five or seven. I don't know. Not a lot. Yeah. There's just not a lot. And it's just, it's been really hard to kind of like find it. And then the guys that have them want like stupid money. But now like I've got my mind on this and I've like, as much as I try to talk myself out of it, it's just probably not going to happen. Fuck it. Yeah. So I've already started like, all right, what do I need to sell this year? What does that need to look like? You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, do you do you build goals around like shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like my first Lambo, uh, I told myself I, I, it's always been always, always, always was a goal of mine to own one. It's just, it's just that thing. It just was like that thing since I was a kid to own one. I thought it'd be so fucking cool. And I never let go of that dream. Like I had, uh, my third grade book fair, bought a Lamborghini Countach poster. I still remember it. Blue background had like the checkered floor. It was all white, had the doors up. I bought it at like my third grade and I fucking hung it up in my little trailer that we lived in. And I was like, that'd be so sick to own one of those. You know, I just I had the model cars of them and everything. Yeah, dude. No, man, I don't know. They're so antique now. If I were to buy that, I'd be like, this thing's like Miami Vice style. So, 
Um, Testarossa. Yeah. So like, I, like a white Testarossa. Yeah. When I hit my twenties and I started making okay money, the promise I made to myself was I had to pay cash for it. I'm not going to finance it. I'm not going to nothing. Like it's a cash deal purchase. And then it obviously no longer was the Countach. It was the Huracan. Um, and then uh, like specifically like the LP 610 and stuff. So then I was like, by the time I'm 35, well then 34, three, almost 34. So COVID happens that year. I told myself, I was like, this is the year I'm going to, I have to make it. That was before COVID popped off. That was like January. That was my goal that year. I was like, okay, doing pretty good. I'm making okay money now. Um, how can I afford this without financially taking a hit to my family? It was what I, you know, like what I mean by that is like, I don't want to have to change. Like if we can't take a family vacation or my kids can go without clothes and shit, cause I have to buy this car. I was like, how, what can I do extra to reverse engineer this to make that money? So I did the math. I was like, this is how many transactions I would need to do. This is how much I'm going to need to work. Uh, but I have to make this happen before I'm 35. And so I bought it when I was 34. I did that in 2020. Was it 2020? Yeah, 2020, I bought it. Yeah, going into end of 2020, I bought that car. Um, but I did a crap ton of transactions that year. I did, and I had like very little overhead in the business at that point. We weren't running the brokerage. It was just my team of 10. But I did a lot of deals that year and saved up, pay cash for it. How'd that feel? Uh, it was pretty crazy. I put it in my garage. I remember I drove it home and just parked it. And I was just like, I fucking can't believe I own a Lambo. It was like, so it, the best I could relate it to is literally like wanting something since the time you were like in third grade to the time you're 35 that like you've wanted, wanted, wanted. And then all of a sudden one day it's just there. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. And I, I don't know. I didn't even know what I can relate that to, to somebody, but that's what, how it was. It was just like, fuck, I did it. Like that was crazy. Um, but equally in a month, the fun wore off. Yeah. That's what I try to tell people like they don't under, and then I sold it. Uh, YouTuber bought it off me for $1 bills. Yeah. Got a random phone call one day and he was like, Hey, you want to sell your car? And I did. And I made 30 G's on it. I bought it for one ninety, sold it for two twenty five, So I made 30 K 35 K. Um, and I, it was crazy as I didn't really miss it as thought as I, as much as I thought I would either. But then I, it, but then you just come to realize like, it's not, not the car. it's not the car. Like that was the thing. It was one of those things of like a, it, like I remember looking at the car and I didn't even, by the way, share that for like a couple months. Nobody knew I owned that car. I didn't post it. Cause I was like, fuck people are going to think I'm like some asshole. Cause I have this like Lambo and shit like that and stuff. And that was just like limiting beliefs. But I remember looking at it and being like, it wasn't as much like, Oh my God, I own a Lambo. It was just like, Oh my God, I made that happen for myself. Right. That was, that's really what it was. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know for what it's, people can hate on shit like that and hate on like nice things and stuff. But for me, it's like, it's a driving factor of it's not the thing, but it's the goal. It's the thing. Like, for example, if somebody's like, Hey Blake, we need you to work really hard so you can go take a fucking vacation. I'd be like, I don't want to take a vacation. I'm not going to work hard. Right. <laughs> like it, t- tie it to whatever you want. But for me, it is cars. Cause I like cars, but cars are just a goal for me. It's not like, Oh, this is my identity. I have a car. I don't give a shit. I daily drive a little, you know, freaking G 35 forever. I got a little C 300 now you know i don't i don't even drive my nicest shit every day i don't care you know um but for me it's it's just working hard but i've been such a car guy since i was a kid like i you know all the way my very first car was this old piece of shit 86 toyota no bed on it no air conditioning and i love that thing just as much as i love my nice cars today you know just my car guy it's probably still running it's probably still fucking running today (laughs) yeah that was that was kind of how i felt uh about our house yep because like i come from a car family yep i same thing, right? The whole car collection thing's always been a big yep. thing for me. It's what I've always wanted. And my neighbor, a couple doors down, he has that. Yep. And he's it's not supercars and shit. Like he's yep. got a Volkswagen van again. Yep. That thing's fucking sick. Yeah. And um, he's got this little just cherry A3 wagon. Yep. And it's so 
perfect. But it's funny because he's got like 20 cars. And I'm like, mm-hmm. That's all I've ever wanted, right? Yep. And um, I know that'll that'll happen eventually. But for me, it was always, especially with my baseball career ending the way that it did, like getting injured, I, I felt like such a failure. And uh, especially looking at Emily, like how long she supported me and everything. I was like, fuck, dude. And so we got our first house. Again, used her income mm-hmm. um, because I had just gone to a 100% commission. So I was like, fuck, Emily's fucking doing it again. She's yep. putting the team on her back. Yep. And so buying this house for us, it was like, it, it wasn't that we couldn't start a family in the other house. It wasn't that at all, but it was definitely. You just knew it wasn't the place to do it. Just, it yeah. wasn't, yeah, it wasn't where our kids were going to grow up and everything. So right. now, like buying this house, and um, it was the other night. Because I remember when we went to go get it, it was Ellie had accidentally posted the wrong house. And I remember we came at night to go see it. My fucking super key bullshit wasn't working. <laughs> so neighbor next door knew the knew the garage code and everything. And I remember just looking at it, like vividly remember that. I'll never forget it. And then a couple weeks ago or whatever, once we got those permanent Christmas lights up, yep. I, I told Emily I was going to do that. And it was going to look so good. Yep. And uh I was just sitting out in the driveway and I was just sitting there looking at the house. And I was yep. like, fuck. Dude. I did that when I bought my house. I remember that. I was just looking at it. Yep. And it's not the house that really meant a whole lot to me. It was like this. The is fact really, that you were able to achieve it. Yeah. Well, it's like I said I was going to do it. I, I told Emily, I was like, we're, I'll make this happen. Yep. And we did. And so now it's, it's interesting because we want to start a family. And like, I know that our kids are going to grow up in that house and everything. And just looking at it, like, it's so much more than that. Yep. And like you said, it's, I love our house more than anything, but um, it has nothing really to do with the house per se. Yeah. Just more and, of being able to accomplish it. Yep. Yeah. And so it, that's been one of those things where it's like, for me, that was kind of a big eye opener because it, it it's a nice house. And, um, but it's, I don't give a shit about that. It yeah. could have been any house. It's just the one that where we'll raise kids. I'm like, Oh fuck dude. And we're able to make that happen. So I'm very thankful for that. And now it's like, I want to do stuff to the house. Mm-hmm. I want to do the backyard. Mm-hmm. I want to do all this stuff. And it's, it's, funny now and i was going to ask you ask you this because you i mean you are a father and i'm not yet but emily and i want to start a family Mm. so i guess for you like what's i guess the best thing about that because for me everything right now is i look at what we're going to build you know backyard wise all this stuff and like what our kids are going to have and like that's what's exciting to me now is like getting able or being able to do all that so like for you you've been going through that and like Mm -hmm. kids and like built out their lives right like how does that feel it's i think for everybody this answer is probably i don't know it's super rewarding just to watch you kind of mold and create it's super challenging too though i'm not gonna lie like it's i wish i could tell people it's rainbow and sunshines and the people that have like i envy these people have like amazing like at least they make it look that way on social media like super easy because it's been fucking hard man like i've they're just all so different, man. Like my daughter is one way. She's, she's amazing at some things and then she's a teenager and she's, we butt heads on some things. You know what I mean? The, I think the hard part for me is I'm such a structured and disciplined and like, I'm a pretty, uh, driven friggin' dude. And I try to beat in their head at a very early age, you know? And it's one of those, like you it's a fine balance between like, I don't necessarily want to be their friend. I do, but I don't. Um, but it's, it's what's cool is seeing them see little glimpses of like understanding what I'm talking about now. Right. Because I'm so, what I'm afraid of is this, the generation that they grow up in is setting these kids up for such a disadvantage. And maybe I'm wrong on that, but my thoughts on that are just, it's so unrealistic. Like they're just, 
they're they're seeing everywhere like minimalist this you don't need this bare minimum this everything's easy this and i just i know it's a lie that's the thing like i know it's a fucking lie and so where i struggle with is showing them how the reality of things are like that's not reality like the way you guys see the world the way that your group of friends is um like the way they see things like everything's easy like they have no value of money they don't understand it part of me i worry am i fucking them up on that side of it because like obviously they grew up in a pretty good lifestyle compared to like what i grew up and they live they live in a nice house and i'm like you guys are this is going to look very different when you turn 18 you won't live in this house you won't be going to school you know like when i had a g-wagon and stuff like that's not life you guys won't be seeing so part of me like i worry am i doing the right thing with that um but the other part of me is is like teaching them the reality of it like you have to friggin work you have to put in the work and so it's been rewarding to see them like my son's finally like this year getting into like the entrepreneurial spirit started flipping like clothes and shit which i didn't know he's like i got a job i'm like what are you fucking talking about you got a job dude and he's like, I'm a f- I'm flipping. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And he was like, he went to like, for example, went to Walmart, bought a freaking camera with his own money that he saved up for like 150 bucks on clearance sale, popped on eBay and sold it for 250 bucks. And I'm like, pretty fucking smart. Okay. And then goes to like Goodwill and he's been buying these clothes for, he's like, I can get a whole stack of Goodwill right now. I can go buy these clothes these old, you know, dated trendy shit. And he's like, I can get a whole stack of them for 10 bucks. They, they have some thing where you can grab like a handful of them and put them for like $10. He's like, and I sell each individual shirt for 15 to 25 bucks. And so he's doing good. And I'm like, that's real to me. That is like crazy rewarding. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. Just seeing him figure it out and stuff like that, giving him a little advice. So I don't know. It's kind of cool. Um, it's a scary feeling because you, everything, if they fail, you're like, it's my fault because <laughs> you're a parent, you know? Um, I remember when I had my daughter, I was just like, it just changed the game for me. It was just, it's it literally in a split second goes from about you to about them. Like it's the hardest feeling. I don't know how to like, you're just like, Oh yeah. I'm like, cause here's the thing. It's like, you probably feel it. Like for me, when I was like a single dude, I didn't really care. Like whatever I failed in, it did not fucking matter. I was like, whatever, I'll be fine. If I'm homeless, if I'm whatever, I'll, I'll make it out of this. Not a problem. If I lose money, whatever, I don't care. Not a problem. You have a kid and you're like, Oh my God, I have responsibility. That was like probably the first sense of responsibility. I think I ever had when I had a kid, I was like, Holy shit. Like I am responsible for somebody's life. And this is fucking crazy. Cause I don't even know if I'm responsible for my own enough, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so it just makes you think about things differently. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting. Society is different right now. It's just weird. I, I just, I, I try my hardest to steer my kids back into my youngest is, is really, really easy right now. I don't know if she's going to stay that way, but um, she's intelligent. She's smart. It's a lot of fun. It's super rewarding and stuff like that. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like a science project. So I tell everybody it's like a science experiment. You're just, or like a little social experiment. You're just doing the best you can to be as a parent. Some days you feel like you're not doing good. Some days you are, but it's really cool to watch these people grow up because you can't stop that from happening. And so you just do the best to like navigate that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm curious how it's all going to go. <clears throat> I'm fucking nervous. I'm not nervous in like a bad way. Yeah. But Emily's been in childcare forever. Yeah. And well, she knows so, what she's doing. That's what I'm saying. I'm like getting into business with someone where it's like she owns like fuck multi billion dollar business. She knows everything. Yeah. And I'm over here playing with our our nephew. Mm-hmm. And like, what do I do with it? Yep. How do I hold it? No, you'll learn, man. Or it's like, one of the most rewarding feelings you ever had, too, though. And it, yeah. No, I'm fucking stoked. Like, yeah, you cr- you created it. Um. That's it, man. You created it. It's just this extension of you pretty much. And that's the thing you're like, all I hope for is that they take whatever I did and they go do better. That's it. You know what I mean? That's, that's my whole thing is like, how can I teach them to just do better with it? I had this, this flip switch. No, what switch flip flip of the switch. Flip of the switch. Yes. Flip of the switch. Something (laughs) fucking changed. Um, not too long ago where I think it was like after, after we got the house, like I said about the whole family thing, it's like, once we got that, 
And I was, it's not like I was ever nervous to have kids before. Mm-hmm. It was just, I was like, fuck, everything needs to be perfect. Everything mm-hmm. needs to be set up. And then we got this house and I'm like, oh, they're not going to fucking care. Right. I never gave two shits what my parents did. Yeah. You know what I mean? We and they live. won't some days. Yeah. Well, like, it was like we could have lived in a cardboard box and I wouldn't give a shit because all yeah. I cared about was my dad, yep. right? And my mom. And I remember like, I still look at my dad like he's just larger than life. And it's, for me, that's a, the most nerve wracking part of it all, I guess, especially like growing up playing sports and everything. My dad was very <clears throat> hands off in the sense that like I did whatever I wanted. Um, and he was never really like on my ass about anything unless I was just like dragging ass or something like that. He was always on me. But other than that, like my own, my beliefs and everything, it was kind of up to me. And, um, that's kind of what stresses me out the most is like, am I going to fuck this up? You know what I mean? And so, especially with like the whole work thing and all this, it's like, I I like pressure and I think it's going to be cool. Like having kids and like having something far more important. Emily's important as fuck. Don't get me wrong. But, once we like have a family, um, that's one of those things where it's just like, oh, I wonder how this is going to go. But I finally to the point now where it's just like all I want is kids. Yeah. I don't know if it's like I'm bored in life. I don't know what happened. Her and I, are, we talk about it all the time. Now we, we have a wedding to go to mm-hmm. next year that apparently is screwing up our fucking timeline. Mm. It's okay. I don't have a say in that one. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where it's just like I'm fucking stoked to like, like you said, it's just like, that's me sort yep. of. Like it's also you, but it's also me. And it's like yep. something, something else to work for. And I guess it comes back to that whole thing of like giving to someone else. It's like having a purpose other than yourself to wake up. And I, I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. I'm fucking nervous. You'll be all right. I You'll guess. figure it out. Hopefully they don't end up like, you know, degenerates like me and my brothers, but yep. also maybe at the same time, hopefully they do. I don't know. Yeah, there's something to be said about that. I mean, they're going to make their mistakes. You just have to let them make them, you know. They learn the hard way sometimes, just like I did. My whole thing is, like, make your mistakes. Just don't land yourself in, like, jail, prison stuff, you know. It's like, how, like, how am I going to react to that? You know what I mean? Like, if my, kid, my kid's, like, going to some I think, you know, parties. like, man, what's been working for me is, like, not just telling them no. Because, like, before, when you're when they're young, you're just like, no. And then they're like, oh, but why, but why? And it's like, you just, like, just the answer is no because I'm your parent. But now, like, as minor approaching into, like, the teenage years, I've been trying to spend more time explaining the why behind it, which I still think they don't give a shit sometimes. They're like, whatever. But um, I feel like at least they're intelligent enough now to understand the why. Like, because they're, they're not at that age where, like, cause and effect is a thing just yet. It's just I'm going to do this and then no. And then hopefully spending time explaining the why to them. So um, that's where I'm at right now at my point with them. <laughs> here's here's how this is going to impact you down the road if you do this type situation or here's what could happen. And this is why you don't want to do that. And that seems to be going okay. Yeah. Um, it was like an uphill battle forever because they just didn't give a shit. And I think now they're like figuring it out. So Yeah, so it seems essentially what you're saying is uh, never ends never ends never ends they always know better than you yeah so well yep. we'll it's a lot of fun though yeah i'm stoked so yeah cool all right well i think we took what shit a couple hours i guess yeah that was good all right well hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode we plan on doing more like this um as always if it added any value to you guys we'd love it if you shared it feel free to give nick a follow on social media where can they find you at man on Instagram, I'm just Nick O'Hanian. It's not Irish. It's Armenian. Very original. It's O-H-A-N-I-A-N. I didn't even know you were Armenian. Well, you know now. You look more Irish than Armenian. <laughs> I'm fucking Irish. There's no apostrophe. All right. It's just O-H. And then Facebook. I don't use Facebook. 
Oh, man. To be fair, and don't get mad. It's an age thing. I, I, thank you. Yeah. It is an age thing. Yeah. Because I've had a lot of people on my ass about not using that. Like, your business could grow. Yep. I'm like, but my business is fucking 26, mm-hmm. not 46. No offense. Yeah. Just saying. Like, my mom grinds Facebook. Yep. Okay. So I use Facebook. I love it, Facebook. It's exactly. <laughs> but whatever. It's all fucking. Use Instagram, too. Cool. As always, guys, like I said, if you guys found value, feel free to share it. We'd love to hear some comments and feedback in the section. Give Nick a follow and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. See you. If you guys found value in today's episode, I ask that you guys share this with anybody that you think may benefit from hearing this. Obviously, I do this for free. I do this to help you guys. I do this to uh, help obviously impact other people that are looking to grow and scale and improve their life. So all I ask is that you guys do share this with somebody that you think it could help and benefit. I greatly appreciate it.